Two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's not inaccurate. Two guys in different spots staying at home. We are doing just that. And another week begins of staying at home and doing the show. Welcome to your Monday edition of Pender and Steinberg. Shea Steinberg, Shea Pender, and our Basement Systems downtown studio with the one and only Logan Gordon is where this show is coming at you from. How we doing, gents? How was the weekend? That's another Monday, Pat. I don't know where the time's going. It's a Monday that feels like a Wednesday, that felt like a Friday, that felt like a Blurg day, that felt like a Smurf day. Like, there, I, I don't know. Days don't really matter anymore. They're just like, all right, time to go to bed. Oh, it's 2 o'clock the next day. It's time to do the show. That's uh, kind of the way things are going these days. But it's good to hear your voice, gents. How are you holding up, Patty? I mean, again, we've, we've sort of talked about uh, how – stark in contrast our home lives are this is like a a zoo that i've got here and yours would be just an empty rectangle in a building downtown i have a lot of human contact too much in in some instances where i feel like you're starved for interactions with other humans i'm doing all right um and by the way i've got so here's a funny story about my apartment uh, about three years ago, I went on a nice little vacation, little road trip, went out to the island, went to Tofino, uh, did some time in Fernie and Salt Spring, and, and uh, it was a cool road trip vacation. I came back, and a water pipe had burst in my place. Not my fault, awesome. condo's fault, but it, it burst in my uh, in my bedroom, behind the bedroom wall. It was uh, one of the outside walls, and so... I come back and I get back and there's a door hanger on my on my doorknob and saying that there's a restoration crew need to call them right away. I'm like, WTF is this? I get in, everything seems fine until I get to my bedroom where the floor, the laminate floor is all buckled and there's like a 12-foot hole in my wall. I'm like, what the hell happened? So I'm like, I get back on a Sunday of a long weekend. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Can't get a hold of anybody. Finally, I get a hold of somebody. Apparently, they, uh, the pipe burst. I wasn't home. They dispatched a locksmith to get into my place, um, and they cut open. Anyway, long story short, it took about six months to get. They had to rip up all the floor in my place. They had to completely redo the pipe. It took six months for my condo board to finally approve the renovations or or the the repairs, right? Um, And so I needed all new laminate floor in my place. And so the gent who did the who uh, who did the laminate and like you know fixed up my place. They're like, your condo is the weirdest, most angular uh, layout we've ever seen. It took them like three days longer than it would a condo three times the size because I got all these like different slants and it's a very angular condo. They they actually made it a pretty good layout, so it's not a rectangle. But that's my long story short about. It's not a rectangle downtown, Pinder. It's like a bunch okay. of different uh, rhomboids. Uh, is uh, is that the shape? Rhombus. Rhombuses. That's rhombuses. what. It's a bunch of different rhombuses. Yeah. Rhomboids, I think, are a muscle. Uh, rhombuses is uh, basically <laughs> how my condo is set up. <laughs> All right. So you're surviving in the rhombus. That's good. That's that's positive. I am. Um, I uh, I had a fairly you know fairly productive weekend. Drank a couple of bottles of wine by myself on Friday. Um, that was good. Um, started watching Ozark 
that show yes. is bonkers. Yes. I am totally yes. hooked. Yes. I know, like all I've ever heard is that it's good. I just haven't had the time. Well, I've got the time. Correct. Start watching Ozark. That show, I'm hooked on that. Continued my uh So where are you? Uh episode four, season one. Um so I'm I'm starting so to That's make exactly addicted. where I'm one behind you. The Oh, you uh, just started it too, hey? Started it Friday, did one episode, one episode Saturday, one episode last night. So we are three episodes in. Uh, and it's sensational. Yeah. I don't know what it is, Pat, but movies that involve cartels or money laundering or smuggling of drugs just seem to be the best ones out there right now. Like Breaking Bad, okay, making it. Uh, Narcos, moving so it, good. making it, selling it, disposing of humans in the way of that getting done. And Ozark is the money laundering around it. I mean, are those not like three of the benchmark programs of like this era. It used to be like cop shows or like lawyer shows. Now it's just anything to do with drugs and how they move is like how you get a hit show. I am like, so now what I'm fascinated in is like, do they tell us which Mexican cartel it is? Because having watched Narcos and the Narcos Mexico, and I've always just been fascinated about what the hell is going on in Mexico. Um, like I, I've turned into a somewhat of a, of an authority on the Mexican drug cartels. Like I know about the Gulf cartel, the Tijuana cartel, uh, the Las Zetas, the Juarez cartel. Sinaloa. Like I'm, I'm uh, Sinaloa. Like I'm very, like I, I've done a lot of Wikipedia uh, rabbit hole research on the Mexican drug cartels. I want to see if they tell us which one Jason Bateman's character is working with in Ozark. But yeah, I am hooked. Well, That's he's announced. Show. They've said the name of the guy. It might be a fictional one. I wouldn't suggest that they would pin it to a real cartel necessarily, would you? I mean, it's, a, it's clearly a fiction. So um, yeah, they, they say the name of the drug lord a bunch in the movie and the kid's Googling it, if you recall, in episode three, right? Yep. Yeah, they were, so, they were Googling the guy's I, name, yeah. Right. So, I mean, it doesn't really necessarily have to tie to anything real world so much as that these types of situations are happening regularly. Right. So anyway, I've been really impressed with it. Bateman's awesome. Uh, the first episode is, is it's incredible how quickly that plot moves from like, OK, here's a mundane family for about eight minutes. And then, boom, all these events are swung into action. And you're like, oh, my God, like, here's the wife doing this. The husband's doing that. There goes his partner. Kids are up to this. Like whoa like uh, to accomplish that much plot in like the first half hour of the series like unbelievable so i'm in with you i know season three dropped i think it was thursday of last week and a lot of the people that were already on ozark were jacked for that and now that we all have a little more time I've, that's uh, one of the ways that uh, we we filled some of it over the weekend once we put the the, the we men down at to the increasingly late bedtime they, they were up past 11 for the first time in their life i think it was 11 30 a new record for the boys uh, they're sleeping in like crazy. They're turning into university students almost. It's quite impressive at four and a half. Um, I, I quite enjoyed. It. I'm trying to think if I did anything else of note. Over, I did a couple of a uh, couple of group chats. Um, I did a Zoom group chat. I did a Facebook Messenger group chat. And I did a house party group chat. Uh, apparently, mm. all these people use different applications for essentially the same thing. Um, but yes. yeah, they did all those. Um, had uh, a few drinks. Um, stayed in the. I, I went for a run on Friday, I believe. A walk on Sunday and Saturday. Uh, I walked actually up into your neck of the woods on 
on Saturday, walked up the hill on 14th Street and started doing into the uh, Marta Loop South Calgary location. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't get as far as your spot, but I was in your area for a nice long walk on Saturday, so I kept it pretty productive. And I watched uh, I watched Captain America: The First Avenger to continue on the uh, MCU bent. So uh, next up, the Avengers for me on the uh, rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe saga. That would be what MCU stands for. Okay, yeah, very good. Great. And on that, at the Pinder home, we have uh, rolled now through Empire Strike ba- Strikes Back, and tonight we made. Okay, give me the status report. How did the screening. boys deal with Empire? Good, awesome, no sweat. Um, really, yeah, the arm comes off, but Absolutely. it's like whatever. Well, and there's you know, everyone gets a little metal. nervous. I love your kid. Like your kids are metal. Like they're gonna be fine once they get they're to high fighters. school. Yeah. Bullies, all that type of stuff. They're good. They're metal. I love it. I hope they're not the bullies. That's my only concern. I'm not worried about them being bullies uh, or being bullied. I know they'll be able to hold their own. My concern is that one of them might be that kid. And I'm like, I don't want that at all. I don't need that evil in my life. You little turd. Listen to your parents. Don't boss us around. We're the bosses. Um, Yeah. So Empire Strikes Back went well. Two different screenings. Uh, We hung on the last half hour. It was like, okay, you're going to bed now. It's too late. Watch the rest tomorrow. They melted down. They wanted to watch the rest. Nope, not happening. And that last half hour, of course, is the epic fight. And Luke Skywalker hanging from the base of that city. Uh, Leia escapes with uh, with Han's pal that knows the ship well, and Chewie and the and the robots or whatever we call them, R two and C three PO. They're called droids. Come on, the droids. Thank you. And then the you know Luke speaks with Leia through the Force for the first time, and they zip around and scoop him back up. So boys are very excited about uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, because they knew that uh, that Luke has got his hand back, which is one of the final scenes of the mm-hmm. of the movie. He's got his new hand, which is a very nice development, rather than operating without one. Although I don't know what kind of message it sends to kids. I feel like we need that. I am a robot. You are not. I can put my hand back on. Play safe. Like remember those play safe. I ads am Astar from the planet Danger. I can That's put right. my arm back on. You yes, can. You can. So play yeah. safe. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the right <laughs> message that you can just grow hands back, but. They're keen for Return of the Jedi, which is coming up. And uh, yeah, we're, we're having fun with it. it uh, we we are on the Disney Plus wagon as of a week ago, I told you. Last, two weekends yeah. ago, I guess, so 10 days ago. And you, you have these different, just like a lot of these streaming services, different profiles. So I've got a profile. The kids have one. Better Half has one. And then you can sort of, t- they can tailor programming for you. You can put parental controls on the kids one when they log in. And of course... I picked Chewbacca as my avatar for, for the profile. Ooh. So every time Chewbacca comes out, I was like, daddy, that's daddy. So I was like, yeah, not really, but okay. That's I'm, I'm down with that. If, it's, if I have to be any Disney character, Chewbacca, Harry seems appropriate. Um, I feel like I'd be more appropriate for Chewbacca than you. Um, seeing as though I've got the permanent sweater on. I feel front. like you're C3PO. Uh, I, I don't want you to take it the wrong way, but I feel like you're C3PO. In which sense? Well, you're speaking multiple languages, which is his specialty as a droid. Uh, he's, Over six he's billion. always very informed and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit timid when it comes to the fighting, which I think is something you've characterized yourself as. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not that's not inaccurate. <laughs> if Pat was a Star Wars character, who would he be? Nine, six, zero, nine, six, zero. We are reading texts. Anything to kill time. It is day 26 of the sports apocalypse. We're on a day 26, uh, eh? Day 26, man. It's almost a month. That's we actually crazy, we actually have some some sports news to get to, which I we will do. in just it's a crazy. second. 
Yeah. In fact, also, uh, Elliot Friedman with some of that sports news coming up at 2.30 this afternoon. Uh, Elliot coming your way early. Uh, the reason why Elliot early is because we're done early at 5 o'clock tonight and for the next three days and then four o'clock on thursday uh we are doing some classic blue jays rewind across the sportsnet radio network and across the sportsnet television network we are starting to relive in its entirety all six games of the 1993 world series between the toronto blue jays and wild thing mitch williams lenny dykstra and the philadelphia phillies uh we all Remember how that one ended. Uh, it ended very well for Blue Jays fans at Skydome. Uh, so game one, Blue Jays, Phillies tonight, 5 o'clock on Sportsnet 960, the fans. So we're pushing things back a little bit. Elliot going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Um, so I'll, we'll get to text in just a second, but uh, here's my biggest news update, uh, I think, of the okay. pandemic. Uh, I just did a job interview on the phone. Uh, about uh, 20 minutes before showtime, I got a call. I applied for a couple of jobs last night, and I'll give you my motivation on this. Um, I applied at a few grocery stores, and here's why. Going shopping, I see how busy and frantic these people are at grocery stores like these people are not only putting themselves at risk by being there um and and making sure that um we're able to still get our essential stuff um and and have our essential needs met so a huge thank you to those people but i see how busy and frantic they are and everybody like everyone is hiring thousands of people they need right now i'm like i'm not doing anything i need to stay busy if they need help overnight, if they need help late night, I'm going to I'm gonna throw my name into the hat. Um, yeah, sure, I can recoup a little bit of the, the lost income personally, but that really is like one of the lowest motivations. I'm just like, I got to stay busy, and more than anything else, I want to keep the wheels moving on the economy. Um, yep. And if I can help even just a little bit, I'm like, I've got the time. What the hell else am I doing? Yeah, I might have to you know, miss an episode of, the, uh, of, of Ozark or watch it a little bit later. Um, I think I'll live. So I, I, had a, uh, I had an interview with a, a grocery store today. It was very surreal. I'm not going to last. Okay. Uh, well, what kind of questions? What's going on? I need more info here. Like this, that's that's an epic tease. We need, they asked, we need to know. First of all, goods. they saw what my they resume. They're like, well, they're like, are you gainfully employed right now? I'm like, I am. So like, okay. So what would you be looking for? And they were like, oh wow, that's that's exactly the answer we're looking for. We need people oh, who are just willing to come out and help temporarily. Um, and weird hours they, they post asked, eight p.m. Pat. That's perfect. Well, exactly. They're like, and and we need people to work these hours. We need people who have their own transportation. Um, Apparently, this was with, I won't tell you which company, um, but this is one of the, the larger grocery store chains in the country. And they said that they need thousands of people because not only do they need extra people, but every week they're losing 5% of their workforce because they can't come to work, whether it be because family member might have symptoms of COVID-19 or they, they don't feel comfortable taking transit to work or whatever the case may sure. be. They're losing 5% of their workforce every week and they need that much more help. So um, they asked if I had a criminal record. Um, you How'd know, you answer that? that? They asked if I... I said I do not. Um, they do asked if I have any grocery store experience, and I said I do not. Um, so, oh, you've walked. Uh, yeah, it was it was surreal, man. Talked. It was bizarre. Was you that? You look at one out your window. I imagine you've walked through them. I you've do. Got all kinds of grocery I've, store experience. Yeah. 
I've shopped at them before. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll, I'll I'll update you on how that goes. But yeah, it's like I like I'm it. Not doing I'm all anything for it. else. I'm no. used to working 16-hour days and 80-hour weeks, and I've been slashed to like four-hour days. And I'm not I'm not complaining. I am extremely happy to be still employed here. But I'm like, I just want to uh, I just want to see if I can help out because these places need some help. I can't go help people at hospitals because I don't. No. I'm not that smart, or I'm not that. Tra- what I can do, I can stock shelves, and it'll keep me. I'm like, I want to. I want to stay active. Stocking shelves is physical. I'm like all these things. They uh, they fit. So that's the latest from Steinberg. I like it. I like it. Um, I can tell you that uh, if I was single, I'd be doing the same thing as you. That's that's amazing. One of my kids has become obsessed with the Raptors. So my two boys, twins, could not be more different, Pat. One is obsessed with numbers, like loves it. So guess which sport he's taken a massive um, shining to that's on TV every night. The Toronto Raptors, because the numbers change all the time. Daddy, 64, 55. Daddy, 66, 55. Raptors in Milwaukee. Like he's just this this constant constant stream of consciousness with just talking about numbers, 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 numbers. So I've been PVRing these Raptors rewind games that have been alternating nights between TSN and Sportsnet as they walk us back through last year's run to an NBA championship. And so we are now up to uh, this morning finished game five of the Bucks Raptors series where the Raptors have come back from three or from down two nothing in the series to now lead three, two going home. And so every morning we'll put a bit of that on, be it half the game or the fourth quarter, maybe the full game if it's a really bad weather day, but uh, it's been amazing to relive a bit of it because we were in the thick of obviously playoff hockey at that point and you could watch some of the games, but it wasn't like the only focal point so much as you're bouncing around between stuff. Uh, I forgot how epic the, Game three against Milwaukee was they needed double overtime to get their first win yep. of the series. If they go down three nothing, they're screwed. You'd think, and then now they're they're in the driver's seat here. Gasol and Ibaka, Van Vliet, uh, like the Powell, the, the bench players have come up to play big time. And Kawhi was just magical in Game three. We played all those minutes. Lowry and Siakam, I think, had fouled out. Or it was Lowry and Ibaka. They, they missed some major players down the stretch and into overtime one and two. It, it's been a ton of fun to to rewatch. Plus my kid is all fired up yelling defense at the TV and let's go Raptors. <laughs> pretty funny. The other guy um, is just playing with magnets or like star Wars. He doesn't care. It's pretty funny. Here's uh here's what I can tell you from a sporting perspective. I've got uh, four leagues to get to, or four sports, three sports, three leagues and another sport. Um, okay. In the golf world. Here's what we know today. Open championship has been canceled. So for the first time since 1945, there will not be a claret jug handed out in this calendar year. That has been canceled. Here is the tentative schedule for the majors as it stands right now. And I think that this is tentative at best. But as it stands right now, August 3rd to 9th is the first major of the year. That'll be the PGA Championship in San Francisco. That'll be followed about a month later, just over a month later, by the U.S. Open at Winged Foot in New York State from September 17th to 20th. And then about two months after that, tentatively scheduled is the Masters at Augusta National November 9th to 15th. So PGA Championship August, U.S. Open September, Masters November. That is the tentative major schedule. There will not be a British Open or Open Championship this year. That is the latest from the golf world today, which I find fascinating. I have no, like, 
September for winged foot in New York State. That sounds optimistic, knowing how hammered New York is getting by this right now. Like some of the stories yeah. you're hear, hearing out of New York are just awful. Now I'm I'm aware that most of that is based in New York City proper, um, but New York State has has certainly been hit. Um, San Francisco in August. I, I don't I don't know, um, and then the Masters in no the Masters in November seems the most likely of those three dates to be able to go forward with. But I did find that sure. interesting, kind of the tentative major schedule in uh, the golf world. They've also uh, filled out August with events: the Wyndham Championship, August tenth to sixteenth; Northern Trust, which is part of the playoff, the week after; the week after that, the BMW Championship, and then the actual Tour Championship, August thirty-one to September seven. There was supposed to be Olympic golf this summer too. And that's clearly opened a hole in uh, the schedule as well. And it, it sounds like the assumption at this point is you start with no crowds, controlled environment, and that maybe by the time you get to the masters, you'd have crowds, maybe not, but um, it's, it's, it's one of the sports where I thought if you had to put money down on which sport would be back first, it would make sense that golf would be one of them because there's no human to human contact. And because you're playing over these vast empty spaces, we're talking what like t multiple square kilometers where you really wouldn't have to have more than a few officials, no crowd players wouldn't have to touch. And you could, you know, set some sort of policy where caddies would wear gloves and touch the pins and remove balls from holes. And that would be that. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't take humans touching humans out of a lot of sports like basketball, baseball. There's a ball. Everyone's touching hockey. You're running into each other. There's sweat everywhere. I mean, golf feasibly is one where, it's a lot easier to see it coming back. And sure enough, they've got a schedule out before anyone else does. And I think it would be a TV bonanza if they can get this out ahead of anything else, because yeah, everyone sure. is just so starved for sports. I mean, you're not a huge golf guy, but if you get to watch the PGA playoff or the, the FedEx Cup playoff or a major versus not sports, it's like, oh yeah, like I'm in on it. And maybe I'm reloading that, that website where I can make a little wager and add a little more spice to it because we're just so starved on sports, Pat. I uh I watch I watch every major as as close to start to finish as uh, as I possibly can and if if I've got if I've got the PGA Championship in August I'm all over that if I've got the U.S. Open in September I'm all over that especially if if these are some of the first uh, first sports that are coming back now here the NFL couple of new uh, news and notes from the NFL today. Number one, they continue to go forward with the schedule as planned. Um, they, as it stands right now, say they are not deviating from their schedule to start in September. Obviously, that's being said in early April. Um, what happens between now and September uh, can obviously mandate that doesn't go forward with. But the other interesting thing is, as expected, virtual draft is how they're going to go through with their NFL draft a little bit later on this month. April 23rd to 25th is the 2020 NFL draft. Remember, it was supposed to be at, at the Bellagio Fountains on the Strip in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's uh, right. They had the boats not. that were going to carry oh, players yeah. out to the stage. It's going to be outdoors sure. and everything, but uh, obviously that's not going to happen, but they will do it virtually. So that is the plan in the NFL. And how about the story from the CFL today? Justin Dunk at Three Down Nation reporting that if the CFL is for to suspend their season that uh, players could become free agents as a result now that's important if you read the uh, article at three down nation important to point out that um 
the wording is crucial because postponed and suspended would have very different outcomes for that. But I found uh, that reporting quite interesting as well, that the CFL might be looking at wide-ranging implications if they're forced to suspend their season, uh, suspend their season at any point. Hmm. What's your feel on the CFL? It sort of felt like, okay, later start, not unlike, you know, baseball and the Premier League, uh, the Canadian Premier League, the, the soccer that we've got in this country now. That, okay, they got a little time. Like, that was like a month ago or we're, you know, I guess, what, 26 days ago. We're in day 26 of the sports apocalypse. Yeah, they got some time. We'll see. But they these leagues that have had a little more time to, to make decisions might be the ones in the most jeopardy of losing a full calendar season, which would be something. Do you? Do you get a sense that um, there's any reason for optimism? I think one of the biggest challenges the CFL will face is that even if this virus is under control in this country, and that's a big assumption, uh, that most of your players are going to be coming in from the U.S. Where is that border even open? Will you be able to be granted exemptions? Are you going to put players into a 14-day quarantine? I mean, there's a lot of logistical hurdles for the CFL, even if in this country Mm -hmm. all the markets are in decent shape, which, again, we don't know will be the case. Yeah, and I I think that there's optimism that they'll be able to play games this year. Um, I don't know how I, I don't see how they are going to be able to get a full 18 games in per team. It's it's probably going to have to be a condensed schedule when it's all said and done. But I think much like the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, they'll have to get creative with it. Um, they may not be able to play home games in Toronto. They may not be able to play home games in Vancouver. They might have to do neutral site games with no fans for the first little bit like all those things might have to be uh looked at by the cfl but i do get the sense there is optimism they're going forward with their draft five days after the nfl draft on april 30th of this week uh trying to catch up funny on we're talking about that trying to catch up with commissioner randy ambrosi i i'm optimistic they'll be able to play i'm optimistic that they'll be able to get some games in i'm not as optimistic they'll be able to get all 18 games in this year it's, it's going to be a late Clear. start to the cfl um but i do believe they will start this season it just much like every other sport uh, might look a little bit different than what we're used to it's pinder and steinberg and uh, we've got a lot to talk about with our next guest elliot friedman around the corner our nhl insider sportsnet 960 the fan sportsnet 960 the fan this is pinder and steinberg time to hear from our nhl insider elliot friedman elliot friedman brought to you by calgary lock and safe as an essential service calgary lock and safe has a duty to protect the public during this pandemic they will continue to provide essential break-in service in the safest manner visit calgarylockandsafe.com all right, we need a pandemic update from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Uh, I was just given a tidbit by our producer, Logan. Uh, where do we find you right now? You're, you're getting a little activity in? Yeah, I'm doing a little bike ride. So am I able to do two things at once? We're about to find out. Hey, 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 I've heard you text on. I've heard you tweet while you're on the air with us before. You can do this. Yeah, but I've got the attention twice. span of a flea when I do that. Like, you can obviously <laughs> tell I'm not paying attention. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, we'll see how it goes. I, I, have, I have a lot of confidence. I feel like if you, okay. you're discounting your multitasking abilities. So let's I start here. The to P- live up to this. Good. Okay, so the PGA has announced a tentative summer schedule, and the NFL had some draft, I guess, stipulations or at least a procedure in place. Either of these two uh, directly influence some decisions the NHL will be making in, in the near future? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, it's possible the – I mean, everybody will be watching that NFL draft, just like everybody was watching the kind of the OHL draft online, like how did it work and how does it work. Are we going to have any – like as the as – the, who has the number one pick in the NFL? I can't even remember. Cincinnati. But, oh, right, Cincinnati. When they try to draft the quarterback from LSU – are the kids going to come running into the the father's office to disrupt the pick? Like we're all going to be watching. We're all going to be watching for that. So I think that the only comparison is how do they do it? And are there any glitches or bugs that you look at and say, we can do that or we can improve on that. The golf thing. I mean, golf to me is a very different animal. It's outside. You can probably do it without fans if you really wanted to. I mean, God only knows where we're going to be in the summer. Uh, I would just like to say that my general rule of things right now is we're really going to not know anything until mid-June. So we're really six weeks away from knowing, you know, kind of where we stand and if we'll have any chance at sports in the summer, I assume, with no fans. So I, I think what you're seeing today is all these the, – the, the, the golf tours are trying to say, look – if we get lucky enough to do some of this in the summer, this is going to be our schedule, but nobody really knows for sure. Elliot, you put something up on sportsnet.ca last night at about 7 o'clock copy time and essentially talking about how the NHL is now starting to spitball some different scenarios. Uh, some locations have been kicked around as well for how they could resume the regular season or the postseason. What can you tell us there, my friend? Well, uh, one of the things I heard was that um, one of the the league and the players association started to, as you said, spitball uh, some ideas in case, okay, if we can play in the summer, where do we go? And uh, one of the names that's been thrown out, and I think they'll talk more this week, is North Dakota and uh, in Grand Forks. And for those of you who are familiar with you know, NCAA hockey, um, that's a really good program, the Fighting Hawks, as they are now called. And also, if you've ever been to that arena, whether for the World Juniors or under-18s or anything like that, it's an unbelievable arena. Um, they actually, Someone actually sent me a video today where Zach Parise uh, is standing in their dressing room and says, this, this is nicer than NHL dressing rooms. So it's a big facility. I think it's got two rinks, although one of them is... Um, uh, an international rink, but it's got several, I think it's got like eight dressing rooms complete with their own medical rooms, things like that. It's a really state-of-the-art facility. So I think if it becomes a chance where they can play and you have to go somewhere where there's no fans and also you're looking for a place with not a lot of population density, and North Dakota certainly qualifies, that might be one of your places. Now, I have been told that the biggest thing about it that's a negative is the lack of hotel rooms. That if right. you have to put, I don't know, four, six, eight teams there, whatever, it's going to be very hard to do that. But I think what it says is, is that they are looking, preparing, no guarantee, but I don't see anything wrong, Pat, with saying, all right, if we are ready, we, if we do get the green light, we got to be ready to go. 
from what you've been told, and and you mentioned this in the article, it's 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 a it's a quick read. Like you can get through the article in about, uh, depending on how fast you read. Me, it took about six minutes, but most people can do it in about thirty <laughs> seconds. Uh, but it's uh, it's an important article at Sportsnet.ca. What one thing you mentioned was the the population density. You, you mentioned how it's one of the lowest population densities in the United States. How how important is that from the people you've talked to? Well, I, I think that's I think that's a major reason that they're on the map is that, you know, you're looking at some of the areas that are really dense and like you know like uh, you know like obviously the major cities, uh, the major populous states, they're really flooded right now. Like I chat, I went online yesterday, North Dakota, and we all know there's issues with the testing, but they have 200 cases um, uh, right now. They just went over 200. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty low number for most yeah. places. So, and North Dakota is the third least uh, dense state, fourth, excuse me, Montana, Wyoming, and Alaska are lower. And I, I think it just makes a lot of sense. Like, if you're going to have to quarantine people and you're probably not going to be able to have fans come in, uh, n- North Dakota makes sense from a population standpoint. Of course, they have to be willing to say we'll host it. But you know, there's a there's a guy who covers uh, hockey there. He's a he's a really good reporter. His name's Brad Schlossman. Um, he wrote a story today, and you know he's pretty plugged in there. And he basically says that North Dakota would do anything to have that happen. Now, there's a bigger wow. question there whether or not it's safe. Uh, whether or not the governments would, various governments would allow it, but I could see, like the, at least from a purely sports point of view, them saying, "What do you need? We'd love to do it." The you know I've and and this is something that has fascinated me since this whole situation became a stark reality. But you know I, I've even looked at it. And, and I know that population density would be a little bit different, but I look at, you know, Alberta's doing a pretty good job right now, and, and you know, it looks like we're, we're moving towards the point where the curve could be flattened here and, and you know, we could be back to normal in, in a few months. Like, would Canadian cities, Calgary, Edmonton, would they be considered in a conversation like this because they've got the hotel availability? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's too soon. I think, I think ideally, ideally – what I would believe, Pat, is that you want to play these games in their home cities, right? Or NHL cities, if you could. But we've got to be prepared for anything. So I honestly don't have the answer to that question, aside okay. from I think in a perfect world, you'd play at home if you could. Okay. Uh, and, and it's funny because this connects to something that uh, you put in your 31 thoughts, which I believe is 34 thoughts this week. You uh, published that on April 1st last week. Um, so from a from a financial standpoint, if they are not able to play again, $1.1 billion would be the estimated losses. But if they can, they can recoup, some of that, if they can get playing again, those losses could be low as as low as two hundred and twenty million dollars. That's a pretty big swing, hey? Well, the playoffs are just huge. Like, um, you know, I don't. I know I, everybody jokes about how on the podcast I say I used to cover the NBA. I don't have as much knowledge anymore about the way the NBA functions as opposed to the NHL, but I am under the impression that the playoffs are much more significant financially 
in terms of the percentage of revenue in the NHL than they are in the NBA. And um, these would seem to indicate it. Now, the one thing that somebody has told me is since I wrote that, and it's been, what, five days, yep. um, the, the financial picture just of overall where we're going, it becomes more and more bleak. So it's possible that those numbers, even if we do play again, have moved. I don't know that for sure, but I've been warned not to continue quoting those numbers because it's possible that it moves. And, you know, I I think the biggest uncertainty right now and the biggest question is the NHL was very confident, um, Pat, in their next TV deal. I mean, what does this mean? We don't know. And the U.S. one is the one I'm talking about, and it's up after right. next year. Yeah. Elliot Friedman is with us. Our NHL insider from Hockey Night in Canada joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. Elliot, we, we know this is a, a very, very gate-reliant league relative to others. Yeah. What do you if, – if this team, if this league is going to miss $1.1 billion, what percentage of that do you think is gate revenue? Because it's it's clearly significant. Yes, but I don't know the answer to that question. So when you had the estimates on numbers in terms of what the playoffs could bring, is that the assumption of fans in the seats or not? Because that to me is a massive swing, whether it is with or without, right? No, I I think that included fans in the seats, yes. Right, okay. Yeah, but no, but I mean in terms of what you would lose including fans in the seats. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I'm I'm having a tough time with the gap being closed if there's no fans in the seats and that remains the biggest source of revenue for the league if you know what I mean. Well, I think I think there's no question about that. Um, I think what you're hoping for is, um, you know, like I, I think what you're I think what you're talking about is as much as anything else, Pat, or sorry, not Pat, uh, Ryan, is. The, you're talking about the future as much. And also, don't forget, when those, when those estimates were made, I don't know if anybody thought it was for sure that you wouldn't be able to play with fans. I think we're, it, it's been a week now, and I think we're more certain that if we play, we're playing without fans. So that's why I said you got to be careful about quoting those numbers now because they might have been accurate at the time but who knows what's changed yeah fair enough um do you get a sense that there's a drop dead date where the league will have to make up its mind on whether there is a continuation of this season or whether they say okay we're so far down the road now we need to focus on making sure that 2021 isn't interrupted uh, you know, I was asked, I did my Toronto hit earlier today, and I was asked the same question. The The answer is, if there is one, I don't know about it, but you can do the math, okay? So right now, they're hoping to be, to do a Stanley Cup tournament in some time, kind of August or September, and then play a full season next year. And I think what that would mean is after the cup is awarded, you take three to four weeks off. I think the goal is three, but it might be four. You do all your off-season business, and you bring everybody back and you start up again 
no all-star game, no five-day break, and kind of from there. And that's how you go with it. And um, so work your way backwards, Ryan. Like, how late do you have to know about that? Is it July, June? Like, like I said, I don't think we're really going to know anything until middle of June. Like, if there's any chance of playing, like, right now, like, we're all guessing. Now, some mm-hmm. people have better information than others. Some people know more than others. Some are total crackpots. But <laughs> are we really going to know until the middle of June? I doubt it. So I have a feeling yeah. around that time, we're going to know. Yeah, fair enough. And, I mean, the the whole idea of sliding the schedule just has – this incredible uh, web of things you have to untangle. I'm fascinated to see if we do get a resumption, even if it's just a condensed playoffs, what the ripple effect is. Uh, Elliot Friedman does join us Mondays here on Tinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Mr. Friedman, uh, I, I was interested in, um, in, in reading 31 thoughts a few days ago. And, you know, you kind of talked about how, uh, draft prospects are doing interviews on the phone and you know there's obviously not going to be a scouting combine this year and and we don't even know when the draft is going to take place but it's it's interesting the the nfl draft's going to be virtual the cfl draft's going to be virtual i uh, i do some work at cfl.ca and and was writing about this but uh essentially right now cfl teams are are getting home workouts emailed to them um videos emailed to them by potential prospects saying here's my measurables here's my weight here's my height here's my vertical jump here's my like they're the creative ways that agents and players are trying to get their information to teams what what are you hearing about how teams are trying to scout the 2020 nhl draft class well you're allowed to do phone interviews um normally it would be dinner but now you're doing the phone interviews. Um, that's, you know, that's a good question, Pat. I, the one thing I heard was the phone interviews. I, I, I'll, I'll, find, I'll ask for that. That's a good question. I'll see if I can find out more in terms of, okay. you know, because in the NHL, you're not allowed to. That's why everybody's so mad at Arizona. You know, you're not allowed to do this. Um, you know, you're not allowed to physically test guys. Uh, outside of the combine. So I'll find out if there's guidelines or rules that are going to be out there for people because it's a really good question. Do you have, I know we have no idea when the NHL draft would even take place because so much else has to be determined first, but have you have you been able to get a feel as to what that might look like whenever they decide it's going to happen? Like, would it be going back to the 70s when they did this thing on a conference call? Well, I bet you knowing us, because we're the rights holder for it, we'll want a TV component. So if it if it has to be on somehow, we're going to put it on television. Um, at least I hope we would. Yeah. Um, so I would assume it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be teams in their offices or, you know, again, whoever gets the number one pick at home and, uh, you know, how they do it from there and they interview the players that way. I don't think we know yet. But I would assume it's going to be that's one opportunity. I know the other thing they've talked about is 
Do they do, remember after the, after the lockout in 0405, they had a scaled down draft in Ottawa at a hotel there. Okay. Um, I think there's a possibility of doing something like that in Montreal, if it's allowed, if it's possible. Um, I know, I wouldn't be surprised. I know next year, the hope was the draft would be in Seattle with the expansion draft. And then maybe they'd go back to Montreal in June of 2022. But I think it's more likely this year we have an online draft with the possibility of a small one in Montreal. Then if everything works out, Seattle and Montreal again. Okay. And a final one from me, Elliot, and that's just on the uh, – it's another uh, piece of information from 31 Thoughts, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, so the NHL working on a new transfer agreement with other leagues in Europe, correct? Yes, that is basically done. Um, it has not been approved yet by the Board of Governors, but there are agreements there. Um, and uh, I, I heard that the league would be uh, increasing the um, – I, I heard the league would be increasing the amount that goes to a team once a player signs an NHL deal, but I heard it's slightly more complicated than that. I don't have my notes in front of me, so I can't remember exactly what I wrote, but I think there's three or four different criteria, uh, including how much time a player has played with a particular club team. Okay. So, uh, but whatever the case is, they, they worked it out. Somebody told me, and I, I can't pin it down, that all the federations are mad at one particular federation, but I can't figure out which one it is. Okay. He's Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. Every Monday with us here on Pinder and Steinberg. Just a quick follow-up. Would that include uh, Russia, Elliot? Because they seem to be their own beast separate from a lot of the other European leagues traditionally in terms of how these agreements have gone with the league. Somebody told me they thought so. But I don't know. Again, I don't know, I don't know it for sure, Ryan. But somebody okay. told me they thought that, that, uh, that there was some level of uh, Russian cooperation here. We'll find out mm. for sure. Okay, uh, the, the the latest in dealing with isolation, your your pandemic buster in terms of books or TV shows, and finally we'll need uh, your assessment on how your multitasking has gone. <laughs> well, I think your listener, you and your listeners, would be better at telling me how I'm multitasking if I've been paying enough attention. I haven't been hit by anything, knock on wood, so I think that's pretty good. And I've maintained social distancing whenever someone cycles or walks near me, so I think that's been good. good but you guys will have to tell. Um, you know, I, I finished. Um, uh, I'm caught up on Homeland, which I think has been dynamite. I mean, I watched okay. Tiger King like everybody seems to have right now. Um, I'm, uh, I watched uh, The Hunters on Amazon Prime. I'll tell you this. So I, I also watched uh, a bunch of stuff like that. Um, I will tell anybody out there who's never watched The Shield, now is your time. The Shield is the most underrated and unappreciated drama I've ever watched. It's seven seasons. I will put the last episode of The Shield up against any fin finale in television history. Uh, so I'm recommending that. Now, the book I'm reading is The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, who's the chairman of Disney. I'm almost done. And next, uh, we just got it today. It is the oral history of The Office. And I'm going to read that. Ah. Ooh. So that would be uh, based with the, the, the UK sitcom, the American one, or something totally different? 
I think it's the I think it's mostly the American one with some okay. uh, conversation about the the British one. Okay. I love it. That's like you just killed a month for all of us out there. Seven seasons of the show. Well, okay. that, that's what I'm here for. Don't hit anything. Thank you for uh, chatting as always. Thanks, Elliot. All right, guys. Take care. All the best, everyone. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. As an essential service, Calgary Lock and Safe has a duty to protect the public. During this pandemic, they will continue to provide essential break-in service in the safest manner. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. That uh, I'd, I'd give them a, a seven out of ten on multitasking today. I feel like uh, there's a lot of good info there. Texting with other like agents, GMs, hockey minds. That's usually the multitasking he does when he's with us. We've seen him tweet breaking news uh, on Twitter while he's chatting with us. Like he, he's a multitasker before, but never on a bicycle. And there was only a couple little resets where he had to, you know, re recatch where he was, which is usually his tell that he's multitasking. Um. What really interests me there, so if there's a gap between, say, $1.1 billion in losses and $220 million in losses, like how much, so say that the $220 million in losses assumes that there would be fans in buildings if the NHL mm-hmm. were to resume. Yeah. Where, how much would fans constitute? Where would that end up? Be, like, say they're able to resume. I get huge. Say they're able to resume but there's no fans in buildings. I'd be fascinated to know where that number would land between the 220 million and the 1.1 billion. Yeah. I, I really do yeah. encourage you to go read the last two articles from Elliot Friedman, 31 thoughts and the article he posted last night on sportsnet.ca as well. And this is why I'm just a little more skeptical about a TV product with no fans than you are, because I I'm of the impression. And again, I don't know, but all we continually are told is how gate dependent this league is. There's just, I, I don't know that that gap is closed much at all. Maybe the losses are 900 million instead of 1.1 billion because the TV money isn't that big and the gate revenue is huge. And if you're foregoing all that gate revenue, this, this might not be much of a yeah. windfall at all. And what costs are you incurring? What risks are you incurring with players? What uh, are you worried about fatigue with sponsors, having them pay August, September, and then have to re up for another full season starting as soon as November. Um, I'm just a little more skeptical that the TV only product makes sense for this league because it's a simple equation. They have less to gain with no fans than all the other sports leagues combined. It's the, still, they're the most dependent on gate revenue. For sure, but they still have something to gain, which remains my point. But, and I think that they will continue to move heaven and earth to do whatever they can to give out a Stanley Cup this year. But in the end, they can move all of heaven and all of earth if the world says you can't play, well, then you're not playing. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's it's all it's all just speculation. What it comes down to is, will there be a place or places in North America that are safe and that they can get games in before it would be too late? And the answer to that question is, who the F knows? Because we really <laughs> don't at this point, right? Yeah. Well, and let's be fair. Like, this doesn't even have to be in North America. If, if, there, if there's a rink in Reykjavik, Iceland with good TV, you can do the product whatever time of day you want in an empty facility. As long as it rips in prime time in North America, that's that's going to be what this is all about. It's it's going to be entirely what's best for TV. And and you're right, it, the, it's not as if it's like okay, well, come on, guys, get planning. Like they clearly just have to watch how this thing goes. Is it getting yeah. worse? Is it getting better? Is it good in some spots and you know awful in others? 
logistically can we move the talent where we need them to go with the permissions from all the governments involved this is a complicated matter to unfold no question we shall see quick segment when we come back we'll be joined by adam stanley at three o'clock uh, the pga making all kinds of waves and we'll tell you about the rbc canadian open is it still on or has it been removed from their tentative summer schedule sports at 960 the fan Two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Yeah, maybe miracle's a bit strong, but it, it is impressive. Uh, Ryan Pinder, Pat Steinberg, and now joined on the phone line by Adam Stanley, our Canadian golf insider. Uh, I, I didn't know how much work we'd have for you this golf season, Adam. It's been crazy, but we got some news today, my friend. We did. We had a whole lot of nothing, and now we have everything. <laughs> it all it yeah. all happened today. So let's start with uh, the big news. Tell us about the majors. There will be no Open Championship uh, from the other side of the pond, but the other three uh, majors do have a date and a place on the calendar. Yeah, so that was obviously today's big news. I mean, of course, it's Monday of what is usually – Masters week and there of course is no Masters but uh, there's no Masters right now the Masters has been moved until November so it looks like that's the that's the date they're going to try to uh, to host this year's Masters uh, the U.S. Open has been moved to mid-September uh, week of September 14th uh, the Open Championship like you said has been cancelled uh, this year, not surprising, after Wimbledon got cancelled. So uh, there will be no Open Championship, no British Open in 2020. Uh, and then the PGA Championship, uh, it will be moved from its May date uh, to the first week of August, but still at uh, TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. So, um, you know, we've got some spots on the calendar where we're going to have uh, male professional golf majors being hmm. played uh, on the female side. They, they already announced that the U S women's open uh, was going to be moved until December. It's being played in Texas. So uh, there's an opportunity to do that. Um, but obviously all these things are very fluid. I mean, it, it, yeah. Okay. Golf's governing bodies wants to have these tournaments. Um, but I think at the end of the day, as everybody knows, it's, you know, governments and world health organizations uh, that will have the final say. However, in a week where you're a little sad because there's no masters, uh, this is a, a bit of a bit of joy and a bit of a hopeful uh, experience to think, hey, maybe we'll get through this, and maybe on the other side, uh, we'll still be able to have uh, some big time golf tournaments now all tightly bunched together as well. Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, someone was noting that like the Wyndham Championship, which has a date that's uh, right ahead of some of the big ones, Northern Trust, BMW, Tour Championship. Uh, you could expect the strongest field in that tournament's history. Yeah. Uh, you know, all these are based on the assumption that things are a go. And as you alluded to, you need to be able to move people from around the world to these venues. Uh, those venues have to be in areas where governments are allowing people uh, to gather, all not be it not in big numbers with crowds, but small enough numbers that you can run a tournament. Um, what does it mean for uh, the non-FedEx Cup events and, for example, the RBC Canadian Open? Have we heard any firm news from that tournament at this point? No, so nothing yet from them. I, you know, the last last I've heard, uh, it is a really aggressive and fluid situation with the other tournaments because as of today, with the big announcement about the majors, um, 
with the slots on the schedule that would have been occupied by majors now being quote unquote open, uh, there is illusions on the PGA tours website that, uh, there may be spots now open for other PGA tour events to take those places. For example, uh, the middle of June, which is the week after the RBC Canadian open, uh, they're now saying on PGA tour.com, uh, that the former U S open week could now, have a, P- a PGA Tour event be played that week instead. So um, the Canadian Open has a couple of things going against it, unfortunately. Uh, number one, it's a, it's going to be in Toronto this year. Uh, and mm-hmm. unlike you know last year in Hamilton or the, the year before at Glen Abbey or anywhere else, uh, this year's event needs a city permit in order to run in the city of Toronto. Uh, I think like the city of Calgary uh, has just disallowed any permitted event Uh, all the way until the end of June. So that's strike number one. Strike number two, unfortunately, is uh, how could the Canadian government react to having hundreds of players and caddies and support staff and operations uh, and TV crews and other journalists from not just America, but around the world coming across the border and descending upon this country's most populous city uh, in order to have a golf tournament? that is also going to be a big hurdle that they're going to have to navigate. So uh, two really big strikes, unfortunately, against the RBC Canadian Open happening. Um, but at the end of the day, if, it, if it's on the schedule and they get approvals from uh, governments and health organizations to host this event, most likely without spectators, so they wouldn't actually need the city permit, uh, then I guess we will see. But from all that I've been told and all the things I've, I've read, it seems like by the end of this week, uh, there may be a better announcement uh, for the rest of the PGA Tour schedule. Uh, they just really wanted to get the major dates uh, locked in and announced before they could put the other pieces of the, of the puzzle together. Yeah, fair enough. And do, are you of the mind that the PGA could could be one of the leagues that is first back to television, which I think would, would come with a, a massive uh, you know, television numbers? I mean, you could see it being a boon to any business to be the first back in this you know, long walk through the desert with no sports, so to speak. Uh, And and there is no body contact. You can play over vast spaces. This is not like, you know, sweaty wrestlers, you know, fighting in the middle of a ring, right? I would would think that the, the PGA would be hopeful they could be one of the first back. Yeah, and, and that seemed to be the, the point that the commissioner made at the Players' Championship. I mean, I, I was there. I was in the, I was in the media announcements. Uh, it just seemed like golf because it's played on such mass acreage. I mean, the TPC Sawgrass is 400-acre property. Uh, you know, that's very much unlike uh, a hockey rink or a basketball arena or even a baseball field uh, where there is some distancing between the players, but they're, you know, they're sharing a ball. And, and when you're in the batter's box, you're so close to one another. Uh, and then that's not to say about wrestling in, in any other sport. So if there was going to be a league that was going to lead the charge of returning back to some semblance of normalcy, uh, I wouldn't put it past the PGA and the LPGA tour to give it a shot. Um, you know, the thing that is difficult with them is that they're basically a traveling circus. They have to take their show from city X to city Y to city Z week after week after week. Uh, so there's always the opportunity and, and the potential for uh, big time impact of hundreds of people going from point A to B at a time when travel is a little bit, um, you know, we just don't really know about how much traveling can be done, but 
with the spacing, with the performance, without any fans, with just showing uh, holes, every hole, every shot as much as they can, uh, I think that golf certainly, as compared to other sports, will probably be one of the ones that, that go first. And it's not just me being a golf guy. It's me saying, hey, this is a realistic situation where there's no intimate touching. Uh, there's no physical closeness. Uh, you know, the, the, the field of play is, is way, way bigger than any other sport that's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question, no contact. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of shoulder-to-shoulder checks uh, from no. the last golf <laughs> action I recall seeing. You're, although you're memories not doing a lot of your uh, perspiration close to somebody else's perspiration right. or or anything like that. I think you're there is some separation for sure. Uh, no, I, I don't know what to believe and what not to, because I believe the news dropped on April 1st, which is notorious for the least reliable news of the year, <laughs> April Fool's, of course. But uh, someone had spe- spitballed the notion of a Phil and Tiger against Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. It Was this hoax, or is there something there that uh, that could work? Because that, that's not a lot of bodies, and that's that's another one that screams TV hit, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it definitely does. And, and you know, I think Phil himself was the one that stoked the fire a little bit because, uh, you know, there was a journalistic uh, announcement and, and people ran with that uh, because no party denied that they, that it wasn't happening. Um, but Phil himself said that they were working on it. So, you know, if there's not going to be any golf tournament uh, on the PGA Tour played until June, then why couldn't Phil play against Tiger in this match with, Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning in, in May at some point. And I think they said Florida, uh, where golf courses uh, are open, at least some of them are. Uh, it depends mm-hmm. on the county you're in. You know, the PGA Tours head offices in Florida, uh, along with anyone else that would need to be there, which would probably be a, a skeleton crew. So uh, I'm of the opinion that that could happen just based on, you know, Phil saying that they're trying to do something like that. Um, I don't think anybody involved in that really needs the money, but what it could offer is, is hope um, and, and excitement and the opportunity for, for people to think, here are the two biggest names in the sport going at it one-on-one again, uh, and that means that this sport is right around the corner from being uh, played once again. So, um, you know, with Phil coming out and saying that they're working on it, I wouldn't be surprised if they give it a go. A lot of hurdles, obviously. Um of course, that the biggest one being the health of everyone, not just who's participating, uh, but in the areas in which they want to have this event. Uh, but certainly with Phil coming out and saying that they want to give it a try, um, stranger things have happened, and, and who knows? Maybe that'll uh, be the first thing to kick off sports returning to our TVs again. I'm in. I'm totally in. I'm uh, in. Let's, let's get a couple, couple notes uh, from you. You had alluded to it off the top. This is the Monday of Masters week. If things had been normal, if we weren't in the sports apocalypse, which we're now on day 26 of, I'll be happy to let you know I've been keeping track. Um, what is what does Masters week mean to you and, and how much does it sting? We knew for a while that it wasn't going to happen, but that, that it's still Masters Monday in a way, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, here in Ottawa today. I don't know what it is in, in Calgary today, but I mean, it's it's 14 degrees and sunny and, you know, you can just have this feeling that spring is, is around the corner um, and yet there's no there's no Masters. So it was always that kind of sign that uh, it was it was getting close to uh, spring and golf season once again. And, you know, of course, as, as you guys know, you know, I, I've been twice and, uh, you know, I got to play the golf course and, and so it always has, more special meanings now that I've actually 
been there and, and, you know, I've, I've been able to do something that not a lot of people have been able to do. So uh, a lot more meaning and, and it's tough to, to not have this this week because of, you know, the weather and, and the fact that it is, uh, you know, the first major and we've been waiting so long for it and blah, blah, blah. And there was four Canadians who were going to be playing. So, which is the most right. ever. So um, ah. good things come to, uh, to those who wait hopefully and um here's hoping that that means in november uh if it does go on it'll be you know one of the most epic ones of, of all time and, and then we don't really have to wait all that long before the 2021 masters because uh, it'll only be five months away in uh in april the following year which is uh, a bit of a silver lining if we can find one yeah fair enough okay finally get us up to speed on your latest project uh, you've been chatting with a lot of the uh, Canadian figures from around the sport. You've, you've got a show called Reteed. Give us more. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of was inspired by, um, there's a podcast out there called Rewatchables where they, you know, do a deep dive in iconic movies, Godfather, uh, Shawshank Redemption, things like that. And I just thought, you know, in this time, why not go back and, and do a bit of a deeper dive with some of the figures in Canadian golf and their most exciting moments. So uh, we've done two so far. I talked to Bridget Thibault, uh, the Canadian uh, woman who uh, played in the Augusta national women's amateur last year and was supposed to play this year. Uh, so we had a great chat. And then today uh, I talked to Mackenzie Hughes all about his first PGA tour win uh, in 2016. So uh, I'm working away on getting a couple other guys uh, over the next few weeks. I've got a few locked in, and a few more uh, TBD. So going to make those announcements on Twitter. Uh, it's about 15 minutes. The the whole thing is on my Twitter account, Adam underscore Stanley. But I've got at least two, three more weeks worth of guys and girls to uh, come on. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 12 Eastern. So it's, uh, it's something fun. Everyone said that they're they're in if they're in. And it uh, just allows me and, and the guys and the girls to, to talk about something very exciting in their lives uh, when things are a little bit up in the air right now. Feels like our content, a lot of memory lane and storytelling. Why not? Exactly. Good stuff. Remembering the times we had sport. Uh, what, a, what an era of our lives that was. Uh, final one for you. What have you been streaming like crazy or binge watching in terms of uh, screen time and content? You know, it took me three years, but I finally, I finally got into Ozark about three weeks ago when this whole thing happened. Yes. So I ripped through season one, I ripped through season two, and now I'm about halfway through season three, which just got uh, posted on, on Netflix uh, a couple weeks or last week, I guess I should say. So uh, Ozark has been my, uh, my show of choice over the last little while. And it's very good. I love it. I started uh, episode one, season one on Friday. So we're three into season one at the Pinder household, but uh, I, I'm wondering how this has escaped me for so long, but now that there's not sports on TV every yeah. night, I feel like there's a little more time, a little more runway space for, for, for binge watching a show. A hundred percent. I agree wholeheartedly. Hey, good catching up. Stay safe. All the best. And uh, let's hope we got some uh, real golf to talk about sooner than later. Thanks man. You too. Stay safe out there. Adam Stanley joining us on our Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar is closed in these trying times, but reminder, pickup and delivery still available. 403-248-3344, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. We'll take a break, come back, a little more Pinder and Steinberg. We'll hear from the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights before 5 o'clock. Also another episode of Wild Card Wednesday. And a reminder, tonight at 5 o'clock, it is Schilling against Guzman, Game 1 of the 1993 World Series all across the Sportsnet network of radio stations and TV. Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
Calgary guys staying at home. Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberg are on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Doing our best on the diversion front. Welcome back to the program Good diversion here. The team that was on top of the Pacific Division when the NHL hit the pause button three weeks ago, about three weeks ago, was the head coach, well, was the Vegas Golden Knights. The head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights is Peter DeBoer, who was really starting to get some traction. Remember, he started the season as the head coach of the San Jose Sharks, got fired after a rough start there. A few weeks later, rehired, this time with arch-rival Vegas. Peter DeBoer, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, in conversation with Jeff Merrick, Anthony Stewart, on Hockey Central on Sportsnet. Uh, He joined the guys a little earlier today. Today. Your new normal now is what, Peter? Uh, you know what? I've uh, uh, boy, it's uh, surreal, really. Um, you know, I, I got back to Ontario. I had my uh, my kids were all over the world. I had a daughter doing a semester overseas in, in Holland, and she had been traveling through Spain and Italy. I had a son at Boston University. I had another son at prep school in Connecticut. So. Uh, you know, my wife and I were out in Vegas, so we, we kind of gathered everybody back. Uh, I've got a, a house near Kitchener where I coached junior for seven years, and we're just laying low uh, here trying to ride this out and, uh, you know, <clears throat> pray every day that, uh, you know, people around the world are staying safe. We've got a lot of friends in the New Jersey area where I coached for four years and lived mm-hmm. uh, that are really right in the the, uh, the eye of the storm there. Um my sister's a nurse practitioner in Washington. I've got a good friend who's who's a doctor at Morristown uh, Hospital in New Jersey, uh, right in the middle of things where they're you know they've got tents set up for the overflow. So it's uh, it's scary, honestly. Uh, you know, I haven't haven't thought a lot about hockey. Just trying to to uh, stay safe and 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 pray for the people that are a lot closer to it than we are right now in Ontario. But it's coming. Vegas Golden Knights head coach Peter DeBoer along with us. Berkey? How you doing, Pete? I'm great, Berkey. How you doing? Good. So people listening might not know, I had Pete as a player. I was assistant GM in Vancouver, and he was a pleasure to have as a player. He was a thinking player. He was a conscientious player. He worked hard, and I'm not surprised he's had success. So tell us how you got your uh, your path to coaching in the NHL, Pete. When did you start coaching? Yeah, wow. Um, well, I grew up in Dunville, Ontario, a little, little town uh, about an hour from Hamilton. Um, and, and that was in the days when, you know, you didn't move to play AAA. You played in the town you were in. I, I graduated from Bantam and played Junior C there. I, and I was probably, you know, I think anyone that has some success in hockey probably looks back at, at some crossroad moments where, you know, some things happened to you that you had no control of and, uh you know, it really helped you. And that was my first one. I got drafted to the Windsor Spitfires and, and uh, CompuWare had just bought the Windsor Spitfires the previous year. Pete Carmanis came in and, and turned it from one of the poorer organizations in hockey to the absolute best junior hockey friend, uh, program in, the, in, in North America overnight, really. Um, hired Jim Rutherford to run it. Uh, Tom Webster was a coach and I came in with a class uh, with Adam Graves and, and uh, Daryl and Darren Shannon. And Paul Maurice was our captain uh, who had gone in there the year before I got there. So, 
I think I think you know you're shaped by the people you're surrounded with, and uh, I was very fortunate at 17 to show up in Windsor and and be around that group of people for four years, um, you know, and, and really uh, Tommy Webster, who was my coach uh, most of that time, other than a quick stint where he went to the NHL and coached uh, LA Kings and New York Rangers. Um, he's in a fight for his life right now in, in Michigan. I FaceTimed him with him the other day to to let him know how important he was. He, he was the first guy that, you know, you, you really, you really, I really thought that, you know, coaching was cool. Um, you know, up till that point, I hadn't even thought about coaching. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a guy that, that really, we looked at it and said, uh, between him and Paul Maurice, who, who uh, graduated from our program and started coaching immediately with our team as an overage player, um, you know, you thought, boy, you know, if these guys can do that and enjoy it, uh, this might be something that uh, that I would be interested in. So that's where it started. Uh, you know, I, I, I turned pro and signed with you guys, Berkey, with, you know, and being around. Again, I, my career wasn't very long, but some of the people that I, I crossed paths within a short career were, was amazing. Between Junior and then you and Pat Quinn and Vancouver, um, you know, my, my coaches in Milwaukee at that time were Ron Wilson you know, Ron LaPointe, Kurt Fraser, Mike Murphy, Jim Benning was a teammate. So, you know, in a short career, uh, boy, I, I got a, a lot of exposure to a lot of fantastic hockey people. I actually remember my, my, uh, a couple stories. I remember Berkey about you and the Vancouver experience. There was, you know, one I still use today in training camp. I remember you standing up and it's amazing what, what you remember. I'm sure Stewie can, can say the same thing there's there's some speeches and and some uh lines and some stories that people have told over the years at training camp or in meetings that that stick with you and i remember uh you standing up and and telling the group that uh dance with the girl you brung to the dance um and i i use that to this day with with young prospects with my kids um you know just about staying focused on on what you do well and not trying to, to do things that, uh, or be something that you're not. So I, I remember that. I also remember, uh, Berkey had a program, uh, in Vancouver where, uh, if you were a signed player, uh, you could take classes in the summer and, uh, and you could submit them and, and be reimbursed for tuition. No questions asked as long as you pass the class. And I took advantage of that in my off season, uh, and, and, you know, that started me on the path basically to law school. And then, uh, you know, I asked Berkey uh, to write me a, uh, a letter of reference to get into law school at Windsor, which I did. And uh, and that's when I started coaching with Paul Maurice. I, I, I uh, had retired and went back to law school and uh, Paul needed an assistant. And, uh, you know, I started working with him while I was going to law school in Windsor. Okay. And then where'd you go from there? Um, I was gonna, I was gonna say, do you remember the Berkey? Do you remember the training camp, the Jim Rebenberg story? Yeah, about getting on the wrong ferry. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'll tell these guys this. So we used to train yeah. on I, Pat. When, when we first got to Vancouver, they had training camp in Duncan, BC, on Vancouver Island. Yeah, yeah. And Pat decided it would be better to move it around. So that year it was, I think, in Parksville, right? Yeah, that's right. Pete? And yeah, so that's right. we go. So we're going, we get to the ferry, and the guys said, uh, can we grab an ice cream? There's a really nice ice cream store there. So they all went, there's four, 50 kids, right, 50 players. 
and they all get they all get on the get their ice cream. They get on the ferry. Jim Revenberg gets on the wrong ferry. He's on the ferry that's going to Gibson on the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> so he's down on the on the deck of the other ferry, licking his ice cream cone. And the guys are yelling, "Hey, Revy!" He goes, "Hey, guys, <laughs> you're on the wrong ship." So he runs he off the boat. Jump. <laughs> he, and he almost did. He ran to the ramp, and our, ours is pulling away. It's about ten feet away, and it, he was thinking about diving for it, but then he, he finally pulled up, and he had to take, he had to wait and take the next ferry. Yeah, I think he, yeah, I think he ended up taking a, ended up costing him a couple hundred bucks in cab or whatever to get to where he was going. But yeah, just some of the stories you remember. But I started coaching with Paul Maurice, and uh, while I was going to law school in uh, Detroit, and. Um, <clears throat> graduated uh, law school and had a job lined up at a law firm in Windsor and was going to start kind of a law career. Um, you know, had worked some summers with a an agent, Pat Ducharme, uh, out of Windsor, who had represented Bob Probert and had taught criminal law to me at, uh, at Windsor. So I was kind of interested in the, the criminal end of things there. Um, and uh, the same summer I was ready to start my law career, uh, Pete Carmanis bought the Hartford Whalers, and, uh, and Jim Rutherford left and brought Paul Maurice with him as an assistant coach, and uh, they asked me if I wanted to take over for Paul as coach and GM of uh, of the Plymouth Whalers at the time, Detroit Junior Red Wings, where we were transitioning to the Plymouth Whalers, so um, that was the second kind of crossroads for me, and, and uh, I took took that job for a lot less money than uh, I was going to make uh, in the law firm, so it's another another great example of of following you know your passion as opposed to money uh, in the decisions you come across in your life. So, uh, and, that, and that was one of them. I got some great advice there. And my my plan at that point was to coach for a few years until I got fired, and then and then go back and and uh, pursue my law uh, uh, career. And uh, you know that was. Now, 25 years ago, I mean, I just I just kept coaching, fell in love with it, and, and was around some great people. Moved from Plymouth to Kitchener for seven years. Got involved with uh, Hockey Canada, which you know was a, a great program at the time. You were around Dave King and Tom Rennie. Um, you know, I coached with in that program with Ken Hitchcock, and I had Stewie on a on a World Junior team with Brent Sutter. Um, so you know, it, it was it was great and. Uh, um, couldn't be happier and, and can't believe uh, where time's gone or, or how fortunate I've been. So from Kitchener, where, where'd you go? Was first pro job? My first pro job was uh, Florida Panthers, uh, where, where I ended up having Stewie. I went right from junior. Uh, I, I had played, in, obviously, in the minors, but I never coached in the American League or the I. I went right from, from junior. Uh, we, we had hosted the Memorial Cup in Kitchener in 2007-8, and... Um, uh, I uh, I came out that summer after that and uh, interviewed with uh, Ottawa, uh, L.A., and Florida um, for the head coaching uh, vacancies those teams had that summer. And I, I think at that time, Brent Sutter had just opened up the doors for guys coming right out of junior hockey um, to coach in the NHL. Before that, you know, you always had to take the step of going to the American League. And I think Brent jumped right in with New Jersey, and that kind of opened the door for them to look at other guys jumping straight in uh to the nhl and um so i was fortunate to to uh, go with jacques uh, martin 
he hired me. He was my GM. I was lucky to have a coach as a GM. I thought that was that was a, a real fortunate situation for me because Jacques had stood behind the bench. He knew what that was like. Um, but you know, there's no doubt. Uh, I was 39 and and uh, you know hadn't played in the NHL and hadn't coached in the American League and uh, you know I was in a little bit over my head. You're swimming uh, at that point. Um, I found a way to survive it. Uh, it's probably the best way to put it because. Uh, in my three years in Florida, I had three different GMs, three different ownership groups. Um, you know, it really uh, was a little bit of a mess and kind of walked out of there, you know, as a young coach that was a little bit rattled. And uh, fortunately, uh, a guy that, uh, Berkey, you're familiar with, Lou Lamarillo, uh, uh, was the only call I got uh, that summer. And that was uh, to, to uh, come into New Jersey as, as their head guy. And he gave me that chance. And in that first year, we went to the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, I, I owe a lot to Lou. One, for recognizing, uh, you know, a young coach who, who had been in a tough situation. And uh, and he was willing to give me another opportunity. And uh, and uh, and two, you know, I stepped into a, a great group of, of veteran uh, guys in, in New Jersey that knew how to win and, uh, you know, and, and had great leadership. And, you know, it was a, it was a great experience there. And then after New Jersey, where'd you go? After Jersey, uh, I got fired at Christmas. Uh, in, in typical Lou, Lou Amarillo fashion, I got a call on, on Christmas Day evening from his secretary. Uh, <laughs> he let me he let me open the presents with the kids, and then I got a call from his secretary on the 25th that night saying, Lou would like to see you tomorrow morning at uh, 8 a.m. And you, you knew... You know, we've all been fired uh, if we worked in the game, so you, you knew the, the they were turning the lights out at that point. So I showed up the next morning, and uh, actually a funny, funny Lou story there. Um, and, and I love Lou. Uh, uh, you know, I can't say enough about uh, working for him and, and what a great man he is. Um, but he fired me. I walked down to my office, uh, and I had probably three boxes of stuff in my office. I had to get out to my car. So I walk out with the first two boxes, put them in the car, and we all had security key fobs to get in and out of the building. Plop, plop them in my trunk. I go to get back in the building to get the third box, and my key fob was already uh, disengaged from Lou. It was done. Like, I couldn't even get myself back in the building to get my other box. So uh, I moved from there and, uh, and took the second half of that year. I got fired at Christmas. Uh, I got an opportunity to sit back and, and spend some time with my sons. I got a chance to coach in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament with my younger guy. You know, that's one thing about coaching. You miss a lot of, of, of that family time. So uh, that was a great uh, opportunity to kind of sit back. And then uh, um, got, it, uh, got a call from Doug Wilson at the World Championships that spring. I had gone over there with Todd McCollin to, to coach Canada and uh, that he wanted to interview me and uh, interviewed and got, got the San Jose job. So uh, went into San Jose, and again, uh, you know, in the first first year we went to the Stanley Cup final with a great group of men there, and uh, and then, uh, you know, spent four great years there, uh, four, four, four years and 30 games till I got fired this year. But it, over those four years, you know, this was a team when I went in there Everyone said the window was closing. That uh, Jumbo and 
and all these guys were, uh, you know, uh, the, they were done and they weren't going to have another opportunity to win. And over those four years there, I think we played 60 playoff games. So um, it was it was my most enjoyable stop so far. I'm hoping uh, this Vegas stop, I think it has the potential to be as enjoyable and have as much success. Um, but uh, it was awesome. It was a great group of men. Great place to work, great uh, area of the country, great fans. And um, so I was there for four years and 33 games, got fired 33 games in this year. And, uh, and you know, was was sitting waiting for maybe this summer to, to see what else was opened up. And I got a call from... Uh, from uh, Kelly and uh, and George about uh, coming into Vegas, which was kind of right out of left field, and and uh, jumped in there and and boy, I really liked our group. I liked how we were starting to play. We were really starting to roll, and uh, and then you know this hit. So that that's uh, basically the the journey. The journey's been a good one, and it is uh, far from over. Anthony Stewart, you're in conversation with Peter DeBoer. Go ahead, Stewie. Well, my my one story about Pete uh, with the World Juniors was uh, they wanted to keep me on my toes. So I remember one uh, dinner they weren't uh, too happy with what I had on my plate, so they actually put me on the scale. But what I didn't know is they calibrated it wrong. So I hit, I jump on the scale. It's just like 280 pounds. And I'm like, oh my God, I know I'm heavy, guys, but not that heavy. So it was, uh, that's the one uh, junior story I remember for sure. Uh, uh, Pete, uh, uh, Jim Halton says hello. I'm not sure if, uh, if you talk to him yeah. uh, as of late. And uh, Kevin Henderson's actually coaching with him uh, right now in, uh, in Charlottetown in the QMJHL. Wow. Yeah. You know what? That, that's, that's the beauty of, uh, of this hockey journey is that, uh, you come across so many guys that, uh, that you've run into that you've coached that are off doing different things. You know, uh, you know, Jimmy was on that world junior staff with us. Hendo played for me in Kitchener and now is coaching. Um, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many guys, uh, and, and you know what people ask me what I'm most proud of. And it's funny, but it's not, the NHL players. I mean, Mike Richards is my captain in Kitchener and he went on to a fantastic career. You're obviously proud of all those guys, but got so many guys through that junior hockey, uh, run that I had that are, that are police officers now or teachers or doctors. Um, you know, that, that was, that was probably the most rewarding, uh, part of my coaching career was those 15 years I spent in, in junior hockey and, because at that point, you know, you can really, I think, uh, make a difference in, in kids' lives and, and, you know, really help them, uh, you know, uh, get ready for the next phase of their life, whatever that's going to be. Because the reality is, not, you know, not many of them are going to play in the NHL for a long time. Yeah, what are you going to do now when uh, Mike Duco's getting uh, fast-tracked in the NHL and he's chirping? <laughs> what are you going to do about that? <laughs> you believe? Can, can you believe he's refereeing? That's, that's no, I can't. Thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? That's the beauty of hockey. I'm sure when I played, a lot of guys said, I can't believe he's he's a coach now. And, and uh, you know, I had a lot of guys that are playing. Mike Duco is one of the dirtiest, toughest guys I ever had. And he, he's a referee now, fast-tracking for the NHL. So, uh, you know, it's uh, that's the beauty of the game. 
Being joined by Peter DeBoer, Vegas Golden Knights head coach. Only a couple of minutes left with you, Peter, and uh, we thank you for your time. I want to get your thoughts on your team and, and what you did when you got there. So 15-5-2 and two <clears throat> under you, and it seemed as if the moment Peter DeBoer arrived, it was a shot of adrenaline uh, in the arm of this team. We all know about trade deadline. Brian mentioned it earlier, upgrading at every single position, goalie, blue line, and up front as well. When you got to Vegas, what did you set out to do to that team? You know what? I, I just wanted to try and reset uh, their foundation a little bit. Gerard Gallant and his staff did it did an unbelievable, epic job. You know, it'll go down in the, the history of the game uh, uh, for the job they did with an expansion team uh, coming in. Uh, probably, you know, never to be repeated again. Um, and uh, you know that their success was all based on work ethic and foundation, and, and how hard they worked as a group uh, away from the puck. Um, and you know what, uh, when I, when I watched the video, when I played against them, uh, you know, uh, recently, uh, when I was still standing behind the bench in San Jose, uh, that had slipped a little bit and, uh, you know, it, it's natural after three, four years, you have some success, you bring some new guys in that happens. And, uh, you know, for me, it wasn't about major changes. Those guys did an exceptional job. It was just trying to, to get that identity back, that identity that had separated them. Uh, for for the three or four years prior to me getting there and uh you know i i thought uh it it took a little while and uh you know but again i i i really like the group i think they have a legitimate chance to win uh they're hungry there's great leadership there you know there's some some real uh quiet superstars there and mark stone and Shay theodore mm-hmm. um you know, that uh, are exceptional players and, and great leaders. And, and, you know, that's just to name a couple. But uh, um, I'm excited about it and, and, the chan- and the chances and the opportunity there. That is Peter DeBoer, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, who were playing some pretty darn good hockey as they went into the NHL suspended season, currently sitting on top of the Pacific Division, a spot that they've held down for the last three weeks or so because we haven't had any games. It's Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, Don't forget, all our guests join us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. I saw our boy Riley, who's uh, running the morning show right now. Uh, Riley uh, tried out his Atlas Pizza for the first time ever and was a big fan. Shop local. Atlas Pizza, perfect example of how you can do just that. We're live on Pinder and Steinberg. Top of the hour, Wild Card Wednesday. It's April 6th, 2020. What happened on other April 6th in Calgary Flames history? We'll take a uh, stroll down memory lane when we come back on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Okay, it is April 6th, 2020. We're supposed to be getting ready for the first round of the playoffs. We're supposed to be breaking down the first round matchups. We're supposed to be seeing if the Flames and the Oilers were playing in the first Battle of Alberta playoff edition since 1990. We're not. We're in pandemic time. But... Our uh, our crack research staff has done some good work. We've been uh, one of the things that has been suggested has been well, you know, while we're at it, why don't we see what else has happened on different dates in Calgary Flames history? 
I know Peter Marr why do I, has uh, done way, this for the Calgary Flames alumni. What's that? Why, 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 when you say crack research staff, do I immediately think about the research staff smoking crack while they make these? <laughs> That's because you've got a mean. twisted brain. Okay, um, very good. I, I immediately think of the, the gif of monkeys on typewriters. That's what immediately yes, comes to okay. my mind. when Or I the cat on the laptop. Stuff. That's a good one, too. The uh, crack research staff consisting of Peter Klein and Jason DeForest, who uh, have opted for self-isolation during this time. And uh, so we do have some research for you. Um, now, there's a lot of it here. I'm gonna, I've got four different events that happened on April 6th in different years. We will start in 1983. It was a division semifinal, Smythe division semifinal between the Calgary Flames and Vancouver Canucks, game one of the series. Calgary was down 3-1 early in the third period when Phil Russell and Jim Paplinski scored to tie the game, uh, sending it to overtime. Eddie Beers would win the game in overtime for the Calgary Flames. They would win game one by a 4-3 score and take a 1-0 series lead in that playoff round. Wow. that's uh, There's some blasts in the past names. Pep being the, probably the longest standing of those three that scored. Uh, the Flames would go on to win that series in four games. It was a best of five at the time. So they would win three games to one in the Smythe Division semifinal before they moved on to the Smythe Division final against the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers would win that series in five games before sweeping the Blackhawks Oof. and eventually losing to the New York Islanders in the Stanley Cup final. So that is what happened in 1983. Let's skip ahead to 1988, another game one. This time, the Smythe Division semifinal between the Flames and the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, not really a close game, gentlemen. The Flames would win that game by a 9-2 score. Eight multi-point nights for the Flames. They outshot the Kings 50-17 to in Game 1 of the Oof. 1988 Smythe Division uh, semifinal between the Flames and the L.A. Kings. Wow, that's, uh, that's a bit of a shot margin there, Patty. 50 to 17 yeah that's all right hey oh i'm trying to think um, like of in recent times what's the most lopsided shot clock and i want to say like four years ago somewhere in the hartley era i think the flames got absolutely thumped on the shot clock in chicago to the tune of like 50 plus for the hawks and less than 20 for the flames and they ended up eking out like a 2-1 overtime win or something like that but i mean that you can go a decade without seeing shot differentials like that uh, the goals in that game, now remember, this was a year before the Flames would win the Stanley Cup. Uh, the goals in that game, Lanny McDonald, Al McInnes, a pair from Joel Otto, a pair from Hoke and Lube, and singles from Joe Neuendyke, Gary Roberts, and Joe Mullen. Mike Vernon Ooh. made 15 saves on 17 shots. The Flames would go on to win that series in five games uh, before they, they had... Uh, Turn that into a best of seven by 1988. Uh, they'd win that mm -hmm. in five games. They would go on to the Smythe Division Finals again, where they would be uh, dispatched by the Oilers in a four-game sweep. Oilers would then beat Detroit and Boston in the Stanley Cup Finals to win the 1988 Stanley Cup. So that was this date in 1988. Let's skip ahead now to uh, a few dates that we're a little bit more familiar with. I will start with uh, this date in Flames history in 2009, uh, another game between the Flames and the L.A. Kings. What was interesting in this game and significant in this game, want to take a uh, 
a gander or a guess as to who scored his 20th goal of the season on this date in 2009? Jeez, oh, 09, 20. Um, just trying to think who would be there. Are we in like Damon Lankow territory? Yep, Lankow was a member of that team. So that would have been a guess. Uh, David Moss got to 20 once. Maybe there you go. That, mix. that would be wow. the one. Uh, that Whoop. was one of the, that was the only 20 goal season for David Moss. Um, he would hit 17 two seasons later. Um, he actually had a really good year, 2010, 2011, before uh, tearing, I believe, tearing his ACL and having his season ended late. But he had 17 goals and 30, 30 points in 58 games that year. He was on pace for you know, 25, 27 in that range. So uh, a really tough injury for Moss. But, yes, David Moss's only 20-goal season came in the 08-09 season. He hit 20 on this date uh other goals that night damon lanko jerome ginla and jim vandermeer as the flames Ooh. beat the la kings uh they would uh, make the playoffs for the last time before a five-year drought that year they'd uh, end up losing in six games to the chicago blackhawks who would uh, go on to the western conference final that year uh but yes uh, david moss 20 goals i david moss was always one of my favorite guys i one of the more underappreciated players on the team. That guy was a hockey player. Was he flashy? No. Was he fast? No. He was smart. He could play defensively. He was an analytics darling. And he could chip in with a little offense here and there. And also one of the great human beings to uh, ever wear a Calgary Flames uniform. That guy was a hockey player, Pat. <laughs> I like That's that. What they say. No, that mean. guy's a player. Like- it's like a Buck Martinez Blue Jaysism when you're watching. He's a ball player, Pat. You're like, yeah, he, he just he looks sure like is. a Buck ball you. player there, Pat. Uh, or as Lou would say, <laughs> and this guy is a player. This guy is a player, and I've been watching him since Plur. he was 14 years old. Uh, that's me imitating Ryan <laughs> Leslie, imitating Peter Labardius. Uh, that's your just, fake uh, Lou impression. That's my, exactly, that's my impression of Leslie being fake Lou. Um, 2011, I have highlights for our last two on uh, our stroll down memory lane. In 2011, uh, Oilers and Flames, who would both miss the playoffs this year, were playing in the final Battle of Alberta of the season at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Scoreless in the second when Rene Bork would put Calgary in front, but what was most significant was the three goals scored by this man. From the draw, the Flames get the puck to the blue line, the power play, tanky shot, safe rebound, scores! Third goal of the night for Aguila, and the Flames lead 6-1. to one. Jerome Aguinla would score number 40, 41, and 42 that year, a hat trick to help the Flames to a 6-1 win over the Edmonton Oilers on this date in 2011. That Aguinla guy, that Aguinla guy uh, he knew how to score. That was uh, one of his many 40-goal seasons that he put up in the NHL. I believe that was the offseason they should have traded him. And it was obvious that, you know, they had convinced themselves they were still contending when they shouldn't have, speaking of either ownership or upper management or the management team itself, and that you would have been able to extract a king's ransom for one of the most dynamic power forwards in the game. Instead, they let his contract wind down a couple years later to the point where they got a first and a few players that uh, may have been deemed B prospects or so. 
So at the time, uh, that year, again, would score 43. Um, and he was in a run of 50, 35, 32, 43, 32 was the run that Jerome McGinley was on at that point. He scored 50 in the 07-08 season, and uh, in 2010-11, his highest goal total uh, since that point where he had 43 for the Calgary Flames. It's it, it's funny because you're right. At the time, there's no doubt uh, that they were very much in the mode of we still think we're competitive. Um and I think at that time in the 2010-11 season, which was the second straight year they would miss the playoffs, uh, I, I don't think there is any doubt that uh, the the decision on that was coming right from the very top. And I don't think there's any doubt that even yep. if GM at the time, who would have been 2011, Darryl. would have been Jay Feaster at that time, I believe. Jay, um, okay. Yeah, uh, even if Jay wanted to have traded Jerome McGinley. I don't think that he ever would have been allowed to uh, from from on high. Well, and I was working in the organization either that season or moments after that season, and uh, it was probably the worst-kept secret that the GM knew not to ask. That's how clear it was ownership's view on the situation, mm-hmm. that uh, the GM was brought in as, what, a special advisor, an AGM, and when he took over for Daryl, uh, it wasn't a, hey, have we thought about this? He knew that was off the table. And so whether he requested it or not, he knew yeah. it was a non-starter with the owner. By the way, that year, Jerome McGinley's 43 goals, third highest in the NHL. Take a uh, take a guess as to who had more goals than McGinley in the 2010-11 season. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of like what era that's in. That's probably pre-Stamkos, who flirted with 60 soon after that, right? Yep. Wouldn't have been Stammer yet. Uh, no, sorry. Um, Stamkos is one of those guys. Sorry, my bad. He is uh, one I was of them. Okay. Saying, so, Ovech, this was during Ovechkin's downstage. This is the time when he got figured out. My belief is, anyway, he got figured out for a little bit. And players, uh, opposing teams, uh, kind of defended him a little bit differently and he had to fight through it. Uh, Ovechkin only had 32 goals this year. Steven Stamkos geez. was second in the NHL with 45, but there was one other guy, the only 50-goal scorer that year. Uh, I'm trying to think. 2011, you're saying the year is? Yep. Mm, I quit. I give up. It's not Yager. He's gone. It's uh, Yager. it was Corey Perry who uh, hit 50 Ooh, goals. That was his that year. year. Yep, that was yes, no that doubt. Was his, that was the year. year. He won the uh, Hart Trophy that, that year? year. Remember Ryan Getzlaff. Yeah left the uh, left the Ducks. He was hurt and was uh, injured for a good chunk of that season. Uh, so Corey Perry, the only 50-goal scorer that year, he won the Hart Trophy, and he finished third in NHL scoring with 98 points. Only Daniel Sabine, Sabine at 104 yeah. and Martin St. Louis at 99 had more points wow. than Corey Perry that year. So that was this date in 2011. And finally, we go back to this date in 2017. Flames had already clinched a playoff spot in year one under Glenn Gullitson. So this game didn't mean anything but it was a big night because of the guy who played in that again it was an april 6th game against the la kings in his national hockey league debut john gillies becomes just the fifth goaltender in franchise history to win his first nhl game as he stops 27 of 28 king shots in a 4-1 flames win 
Uh, I remember that night very well. I was mm-hmm. at uh, Shanks on the Cloud Trail South when John Gillies picked up his first NHL win, his first career NHL start. Remember, that was the year that both Gillies and Riddick had pretty solid years with AHL Stockton. Uh, Riddick would get mm-hmm. into the next game the Flames played when they were in San, San Jose. Jose. Uh, the Flames yep. would uh, play the Ducks in round one of that year's playoffs and get swept. But uh, that night, April 6, 2017, Sam Bennett, Dennis Weidman, Freddie Hamilton, and Alex Chason wow. all scored for the Flames in a 4-1 victory. John Gillies, 28, uh, 27 stops on 28 shots. And I believe that was the playoffs remembered for the Brian Elliott stain in the crease in Game 4. That's the right year? Yeah, he also made a pretty good one in the, the second and third periods of Game 3 as well. Uh, that really Wasn't was his the, best work, Pat. Played himself that was really the game that... Uh, lost the series the flames were up 4-1 in game three looked like they were going to get right back into it ducks came all the way back to tie it they tied it in the third period and then early in overtime perry would win it in uh, uh, a big time comeback once they were down 0-3 you knew that uh, series was done thanks to deforest and kleiner for putting that together we'll try and do that every day a little bit of a trip down memory memory road on uh, this day in flames history next up wild card wednesday also in the four o'clock hour elliot friedman stops by reminder we're done early tonight five o'clock little blue jays classic action across the sportsnet radio network and across the sportsnet television network all at the same time game one 1993 world series blue jays and phillies five o'clock wild card wednesday's next it's pinder and steinberg on sportsnet 960 the fan let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show for Wild Card Wednesday, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, a little levity on your Monday afternoon. Coming up a little bit later on uh, on the program. Remember, top of the hour, Blue Jays-Phillies game 193 World Series. That's the top, so we're done an hour early today. Uh, but later on this hour, Elliot Friedman with some really interesting stuff on some potential scenarios on how the NHL could restart if that's in the cards, NHL draft, revenues, and a whole lot more. Elliot coming up before 5 o'clock. But first, it's time for everybody's favorite casino-themed game show. We say hello to Logan Gordon, who's back at Sportsnet 960 World Control in our basement systems downtown studio. We've got Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg along with you as well. We've got our big slot machine here in the casino. Five categories, pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. Each one of us pulls the slot machine once. We all ask a question, and uh, each one of us answers that question. Uh, any volunteers to go first on a Monday edition of Wild Card Wednesday? I've been so impressed with Logan. I feel like he's got the leadoff spot locked in like Ricky Henderson. If he wants right now. it, you've got you've got it, Logo. All right, I'll go for it. Career. Career. All right. Uh, I was inspired by Pat's story of applying at the grocery store today. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, gentlemen, if you have a interesting or terrible experience in a job interview. Oh, Ooh. I got it for you. I'm good. Okay, you go first. So trying to remember what year it was, but I was back for a summer, probably from university or something like that. And I was looking to work at a restaurant. So I went to Joey's at Chinook and went through their whole process. And 
ended up getting told that uh, I, did, I was not Joey's caliber and I had slept through an alarm that morning. I was supposed to shave and I'd taken the, the manual <laughs> shaver, not a razor, which they didn't count as shaving. And I wanted to, you know, how is this? How tight should this be? Is, you know, a razor just a, and it, uh, it was just one of the worst experiences. I never felt like myself and was incredibly disappointed uh, to be told that I could not um, wait tables at uh, said restaurant at Chinook. It actually turned out to be unreal. I ended up uh, just a day later landing a gig at a place called the Conga Room on Stephen Avenue, which was a Latin bar. I was the only gringo there. We had people from all over South America, Central America, uh, and me making mojitos and caprinas and all kinds of amazing cocktails. So uh, were you a bartender? Yeah, that's right. Cachaca, rum, mint, lime, sugar. I can make a, a, a huge blend of delicious cocktails, Pat. It was it turned out very for the better. nice. Very nice. Now, um, so so take us back a little bit more. Your, I know that you know you've done some work uh, in Espanol. How was your Spanish mm-hmm. at that point? Would have been pretty good relative to now, but not necessarily at the peak. Um, I took Spanish, I think three years in a row in high school, I want to say. Okay. So that was probably where I was at. It was at its strongest, but this would have been within two or three years of that. So just very simple conversational stuff, probably not, you know, doing tenses very well, but definitely the drink ordering and numbers and things like that weren't a problem. Okay. Um, I, I gotta be honest with you guys. I have not had a lot of jobs in my life. Um, my job with Kelly, Ker- my job interview with Kelly Kirsch. Um, here's how this went. So this would have been spring 2004. Fan 960 Calgary Sports Radio was humming because the Flames were in the playoffs. They would have been, I want to say, at this point, two to three rounds deep. Would have been May. Uh, they would have been actually now three to four rounds deep in their run. Uh, so it was sometime May 2004. Uh, I got a. I'd been out of state now for about a month or so and had not been able to land a job. I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, I was very very odd. I was working as a DJ um, with West Tracks and Split Circuit Sound, and I was uh, that was that was really all I was doing at the time. Which, by the way, I loved. Um, and so I I uh, I got a call from a gentleman who uh, by the name of Blaine Kirby. Blaine was one of the uh, operator producers at the Fan 960 at the time. Um, he is now one of Calgary's finest, representing uh, our police force, um, and and has been for the better part of a decade. But at the time, he was working at the station. He gave me a call. He's like, "Hey, uh, we've got an opening. You'd be perfect for it." So he's like, "Give Kelly Kirsch a call. I told you about him." So I give Kirsch a call. I say, "Hey, Blaine Kirby told me to call." He goes, "Ah." He swore it a couple times because he's you know, trying to be hip and with me. He goes, "Ah, yeah. Why don't you bring your effing resume on down and uh, we'll have an effing chat?" Uh, okay. Uh, uh, so I came on down the next day, gave him my resume, which was like a paragraph long. He goes, uh, sounds good. When can you start? And I started like a day, two days later. I started training with uh, Kerry Agradiuk and Bill Rashat. Um, and I started learning the, the ins and outs. And a little while later, I was uh, I was uh, doing an overnight shift. And I remember, I, I'll never forget it. I was like, I'm bored as, uh, bored as all hell. So I um, took the 2020 sports update bed that we had recorded it did a mock intro i rather did a mock update sent it to kirsch and he emailed me back the next day he goes 
uh, yeah, your updates sound hot. I want to start uh, using them on the air a little bit more. I'm so, uh, so yeah, that's that was my job interview with Kirsch. I worked at the Calgary Cannons as a cannoneer, um, which was a half cheerleader, half usher. Um, and my job interview there was a job fair where I applied and they hired me. Um, same thing was true with my DJ job. I talked on the phone. I showed up for a show and he hired me. Like I've never really had a full on job interview before in my life. The, and I've never had a bad one. I guess I've had a couple where I didn't get the job, but I've never had like a bad experience with job interviews just because I've had so few jobs in my life. Yeah, I've had a couple of like group interviews and a few uh, stuff like that where it's a little more awkward and stuff like that. You don't really get a chance to uh, to stand out as much. But my main one also comes from 960 because uh, I was in my first year at Mount Royal when a producer job opened up here, and I applied for it, and I got you know, the call from Kirsch to come in for an interview. Uh, and so I was really nervous. I, I finished up my morning classes or whatever, and I, you know, I dressed up a little bit, and I came down uh, to our downtown studio here to meet him for the interview, and I met Kelly at the desk or whatever. And within two seconds of meeting Kelly and you know preparing to have an interview with him, <laughs> he passes me off uh, because he now has a meeting to go attend, <laughs> and my interview is now with Jason DeForest. Um, yeah. Who now? Uh, do you like vital? Uh, hey, man. Uh, hey, you uh, like vital? We're just okay, gonna cool. go in here and do this uh, interview. Uh, yeah, if you just want to sit down and we'll talk for a minute. And uh, so we went into the uh, the studio here. It was uh, before the afternoon show was starting, and uh, so me and Jay just kind of chatted for a couple minutes. It was the most informal thing uh, of all time. Uh, I had no idea what was going on because I thought my interview was going to be with Kelly and the boss just blew me off with about, you know, half a handshake and then got rid of me. So uh, chatted with DeForest and uh, later on that afternoon, I think Kelly called me and, oh, yeah, sorry about that. But I heard everything went really well with Jay. Uh, So, uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be uh, great if we could get you on here and get you started. So. That was uh, my most interesting uh, interview because Kelly called me. Kelly set it all up, and literally as I got there, he passed me off to Jay. All right. Well, that's That's a good one. I like that logo. (laughs) That's a solid story. And uh, anytime we can do our Kelly Kirsch impressions, I think we're pretty happy. Pinder, you want to go next? You want me to go? Yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to rock here. Okay. Wild card, guys. It's 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 kind of it's a little bit down to be in a pandemic, and I know we were all thinking of what could be. So this is a positive one. Tell me about your perfect post-pandemic day. Let's say for some weird reason there's just a green light, and this day on the calendar everything's back to normal. Maybe okay. we've all got the vaccine. Maybe the virus uh, fatigued and is no longer on the planet. Uh, maybe aliens give us some sort of a cure for this thing. But all of a sudden, there's a date on the calendar that is back to normal. What time of year is it and what are you doing? Paint me your perfect post-pandemic day. Okay, for me, it's very easy. It's a summertime day. It's this summer. Um, and the perfect post-pandemic day uh, would be this. Um, ship an anchor at like 1 p.m., patio 
put it put in like a four to five hour shift on the uh, the ship patio, uh, then go somewhere probably inside, uh, find a hockey game to watch. Let's say that the playoffs are on. Uh, just for the sake of this conversation, the Flames aren't playing this night, um, so it's a it's a playoff game That's because the, the NHL has resumed. Um, so now we're going to see game four of a playoff series between Team X and Team Y continue getting crushed at a at a bar and then uh, end somewhere on 17th after that so a three night a three-stop pub crawl um, oh, some outdoor to start put in the nice shift hockey game and then uh, end somewhere good for the final part of the night maybe some you and me um, at about oh, 3 a.m go for some hot and sour soup some salt and pepper seafood a um, little bit a little bit of the dim sum dumplings uh, home by say 4 four thirty and then sleep till noon the next day that is uh, my perfect day one celebration of the pandemic being over yeah mine's uh not far off from pat the weather is uh balmy plus 20 for sure sunny day in calgary um i think for sure we're me and the friends are gonna head somewhere uh in the afternoon to cold garden or one of the breweries in the area around there for a few uh hours and uh either inside or out, and honestly, uh, the night would probably end up at Greta Bar or something like that and uh, just uh, have some fun with the arcades and some TV and hang out with the guys doing that and probably, like Pat, stay up to an ungodly, an ungodly hour and uh, wake up sometime the next afternoon, but it's uh, going to involve a few cold beverages on a patio when it's nice and warm out for sure, or even at the Wild Rose uh, Tap Room, something like that would be a nice place to spend a couple hours on a hot afternoon. Okay, boys, here it is. July 24th. I'm on a 6 a.m. flight to Seattle to take in the Blue Jays and the Mariners series. Uh, we'll get into Seattle nice and early. Big brunch, maybe a few breakfast beers, maybe a mimosa. We'll, we'll see. Maybe a Caesar, depending on how we're feeling when we get to Seattle. Meet up with some pals. Maybe go watch BP a little early. Tip some of those delicious Seattle microbrews down. Watch the Blue Jays thump the Mariners, and then out on the town, maybe go to Capitol Hill, find a place to, to have a little boogie. Eh? That sounds pretty good. Yeah, that would work. Yep. Not bad at all. <laughs> Mine is the whole travel to the U.S. thing, if that's... Well, I've, I've yeah. booked that flight. It hasn't been yeah. canceled yet. Fair. Like, one can still hope. July 24. Let's make that happen. You ready, Patty? I am ready to go. By the way, somebody asked, where is the best dim sum place to go at night? There's only one dim sum place I know of that is open at night, but uh, you and me on Center Street does a full-on dim sum until 4 a.m. every morning in non-pandemic times. Unbelievable. Like, if you can get the the Cheng Fun um, before they're out of it, it's unreal. And the the shrimp and pork dumplings, just the shrimp dumplings, oh, it's ridiculous. Uh, Full-on dim sum menu until 4 a.m. at you and me. would be my recommendation. I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's go. Pop culture. Uh, okay, gentlemen. I was thinking about this to, uh, a couple days ago. I watched the documentary 20 Feet from Stardom, which is outstanding. You can't get it on uh, either Netflix or Disney+. Plus. So, yeah, I had to go find it somewhere online. It's a great documentary, essentially about female backup singers, um, mostly female backup singers, a couple of male as well, but kind of the, 
the unfortunate life that the backup singer lives, how talented these people are, and how close to stardom they came, how incredible they were, but just some of the bad luck that they ran into and a little bit of the exploitation that they found in the music industry. It was just fascinating. Um, but the uh, the the... Very interesting expose came. The thing that I found most interesting was when they did about a five-minute piece on Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Um, I believe Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones is the greatest song ever made, uh, the greatest song ever written, and the greatest song ever recorded. What's that? Second would come Sandstorm. Um, So it got me thinking. There's my answer. Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. What is the greatest song ever recorded? Oh. Logan, if you have any sort of semblance of an answer, um, the floor is yours. That's, that's a lot. Jeez. Is, that is a monumental task to come up with um, on the spot. Um, for me, uh, I'll get some flack for this because I, I know the country music love isn't for everyone here, but uh, Colin there's no Batten, wrong answers, Logan. Colin Baton Rouge by uh, Garth Brooks has a solid, well solid spot in my heart, and uh, it doesn't matter the time, the day, or the place. Uh, I can uh, get down with that one for sure. Uh, instant classic for me, and probably up there with one of the best songs ever. I have no problem with that. In fact, um, operator, won't you put me on through? Uh, I. I remember when I, I finally I'd wanted to see Garth Brooks in concert for so long, and when he did uh, when he did his nine shows at Rogers Place in Edmonton. This is before he came to Calgary a couple of years later. But when he did his nine shows in Edmonton, uh, I was able to go up and watch, and I believe it was the final show he did in Edmonton, so the ninth show. And I, I remember like it was a I was waiting all night, like it was he played everything. And going down to the sun comes up and the thunder rolls and the dance. and He played everything, but I was just waiting and waiting. I'm like, I can't wait. I knew he was going to play it, but I cannot wait till Colin Baton Rouge gets played. It was like a religious experience watching Colin Baton Rouge live. It was unreal. The energy, uh, the fact that it's one of the great songs in, in country music history. I had no problem with that nomination at all. I endorse that 100%. Nice choice. I'll go uh, Hey Jude by the Beatles for a very square answer, but I'm sorry. If you're 90 or if you're nine or you're nine months old, you can, you can get into that. That's uh, yeah, one hey of the Jude's a good one. Although there would be, there would be Beatles fanatics who would say that's not even the greatest Beatles song ever made, but that's another conversation because many would say that is many would say that isn't, but Hey Jude by the Beatles is about as classic as it gets. No, no doubt about it. I just think gimme shelter that that that's a good one guitar ref at the beginning mary clayton's lyrics are a rather background vocal she was the one that was featured in the documentary like some of the most haunting chilling background music of all background singing of all time like it's got a great what was the name of the doc again patty it's called 20 feet from stardom was a really really cool documentary um Taught, and all these people, like the people they sang with, Michael Jackson, uh, the band, um, Steely Dan, like all these different 
acts that these people worked with, and they worked with all of them. Um, but yeah, the beginning to this song, Keith Richards' guitar riff, when the drums kick in, mix vocals. I'm not even a huge Stones guy, but this song is the greatest song ever written. And then Mary Clayton's background vocals uh, absolutely uh, make it. There's, I've got other, you know, I think that. Um, Stairway to Heaven is right up there. Um, I'm a big fan of Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith. Um, like there's some other good ones, but for me, this is it. Uh, Give me Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and that vocals you're talking about, like just piercing, powerful, strong, amazing. Yeah, I love it. Well, and I mean, the words she's saying, she's saying, uh, rape, murder, and then uh, like it, it's it's and I like the message of the song still holds up today. In fact, really holds up today. Uh, a couple of nominations on our text line, 960960. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, of course, Queen. Um, Chumba Wumba. I don't know if Tub Thumping made the list. Not sure if How Bizarre made it either. Uh, <laughs> Under Pressure by uh, Queen and David Bowie. Um, Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. Uh, all make it. Bohemian um, Rhapsody would be up there for me, too. Yeah, it's... I get it. I just it's it's so gimmicky for me that I I understand it's a incredible piece of of musical art. It's just never been my favorite. I just it's so gimmicky and it's so overplayed. But it I will say that uh, it is an incredible work of art. What they did, uh, the Gambler, Thunderstruck have all been uh, nominated in there. Bittersweet well. Symphony, not Bittersweet <laughs> Symphony, no. No chance. I do like your call in Baton Rouge, though. That one, that one's right from the heart, too, Logo. I like it. I love it. It was uh, so good. There you go, gentlemen. That's another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, a little bit later on this hour, Elliot Friedman joins us, our NHL insider. Lots to get into with Fridge as we roll on. Remember, top of the hour, game one. 93 World Series Blue Jays and Philadelphia Phillies. Happy Monday. It's Pandemic Radio on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. All right, nearly 4.30. Welcome to the Sports Drive at 5. I know that doesn't sound intuitive, but uh, it's true. We'll go to game one of the 1993 World Series in 31 minutes, Schilling against Guzman. Jays, Phillies, all week across the Sportsnet radio and television networks. Should be a lot of fun to revisit uh, that year. I wonder how it'll go. I really, I'm curious to see how it plays out. This uh, How many games do you think it'll go, right? Well, I don't know. A lot of pressure on the defending champs, so I just I, I don't know that uh, they won't wither. I, I feel like maybe they're just a fragile group. They're they're just a little too cocky after. Well, we'll have to wait, play watch it play out. Let's I'm going to go. go I'm going to go Jays in six. That's going to be my prediction I'll take, for this series. I'll take the Phillies in four. You want to bet anything? Yes, I'd like to bet forty two thousand dollars, please. <laughs> Just give me a moment. I got to run the finances past my wife, and if she's in, I'm in. Okay. Well, I'll let you know okay, in tomorrow's yeah. show. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. I Don't can start spoil it. straight out of Compton, dude. It it yeah, happened exactly. in real life. There's no spoilers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. We've all been finding different uh, outlets during this pandemic to eat time to be entertained. 
We've got the Raptors replays big in the Pinder household in the mornings and at night when the kids are to bed, Ozark has been started. We are through episode three in season one. And Patty, coincidentally, that has the wife and I one show behind you. Uh, I'm stunned at how good it's been early on. And apparently it only gets better. People love season three. And I'm not going to lie. That that spot, like the Lake of the Ozarks, never heard of it before. Um, <laughs> I went and did some research. It's like it's actually like a man-made lake, um, and I am fascinated by it. Like I'm like, I want to go check that out one day. When this pandemic <laughs> ends, I want to go check that place out. It looks pretty neat. The Redneck Riviera, I think they call it in the show. I never sure, heard of it before until I, um, until I started watching Ozark. It looks really cool. Quick recap of uh, news of the day. PGA has released a summer schedule. We chatted with Adam Stanley earlier today. You can go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 to hear that chat about what remains on the schedule and what remains in limbo. There will be three of the four majors played this year. NFL has told teams they all have to draft from home and there will be no group gathering. So much for meeting at uh, Gruden's house, 30 of you. Not going to go down like that. Uh, Other leagues will be watching as the NFL has uh, the first ever skyped draft that wasn't for fantasy football but for the nfl itself and uh yeah there'll be a lot of other leagues paying attention to that to see if they can take some notes other other news from the weekend uh, the president chatted with the commissioners of the major four sports leagues and others and while he uh had a lot of things to say about things returning quickly the california governor does not anticipate september starts with fans in any of the big sports mm-hmm. in the state of California. That's kind of the, the new sportsy news of the day, Pat. It's going to be tough to have fans back on mass at sporting events in the calendar year 2020. I don't think that that means Dude. everywhere, but I think, I, I think the calendar year 2020, we're going to see a significant amount of professional sports played without fans. At some point, we will be back to normal. I just don't know if that part is going to be back in in kind of the the realm that we're used to in all spots before the uh, before the end of this calendar year. I I love to be wrong. Please be wrong, yeah. uh, but that's just kind of the the feel that I'm getting right now. More on the NHL situation with our NHL insider Elliot Friedman coming up next. It's Pinder and Steinberg, the Sports Drive at five, Sports at nine sixty, the Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. All right, wrapping up the show for the day. You're wondering, that seems like we're about an hour early. We are, because coming up at the top of the hour, about 25 minutes away, Game 3 of the 1993 World Series, Toronto Blue Jays, and sorry, Game 1 of the 1993 World Series, Toronto Blue Jays and Philadelphia Flyers, Philadelphia Phillies, is coming your way at the top of the hour. I sure did bungle that, but I made the corrections both times, so at least I figured that point out. Phillies, Blue Jays, Game 1, 93 top of the hour nhl kicking around some ideas for a restarting of the season where it might go the logistics what do the revenues look like what does a 2020 nhl draft look like we touched on all of that earlier today with our nhl insider elliot friedman 
Elliot, you put something up on sportsnet.ca last night uh, at about 7 o'clock Calgary time and essentially talking about how the NHL is now starting to spitball some different scenarios. Uh, some locations have been kicked around as well for how they could resume the regular season or the postseason. What can you tell us there, my friend? Well, uh, one of the things I heard was that um, one of the – the league and the players association started to, as you said, spitball uh, some ideas in case, okay, if we can play in the summer, where do we go? And uh, one of the names that's been thrown out, and I think they'll talk more this week is North Dakota and uh, in Grand Forks. And for those of you who are familiar with NCAA hockey, um, that's a really good program. The fighting Hawks as they are now called. And also, if you've ever been to that arena, whether for the World Juniors or under-18s or anything like that, it's an unbelievable arena. Um, they actually, Someone actually sent me a video today where Zach Parise uh, is standing in their dressing room and says, this, this is nicer than NHL dressing rooms. So it's a big facility. I think it's got two rinks, although one of them is um, uh, an international rink, but it's got several. I think it's got like eight dressing rooms complete with their own medical rooms, things like that. It's a really state-of-the-art facility. So I think if it becomes a chance where they can play and you have to go somewhere where there's no fans and also you're looking for a place with not a lot of population density, and North Dakota certainly qualifies, that might be one of your places. Now, I have been told that the biggest thing about it that's a negative is the lack of hotel rooms. And if right. you have to put, I don't know, four, six, eight teams there, whatever, it's going to be very hard to do that. But I think what it says is, is that they are looking, preparing, no guarantee. But I don't see anything wrong, Pat, with saying, all right, if we are ready, we, if we do get the green light, we got to be ready to go. From what you've been told, and and you mentioned this in the article, it's 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 a it's a quick read. Like you can get through the article in about, uh, depending on how fast you read. Me, it took about six minutes, but most people can do it in about thirty <laughs> seconds. Uh, but it's uh, it's an important article at Sportsnet.ca. What one thing you mentioned was the the population density. You, you mentioned how it's one of the lowest population densities in the United States. How how important is that from the people you've talked to? Well, I, I think that's I think that's a major reason that they're on the map is that, you know, you're looking at some of the areas that are really dense and like you know like uh, you know like obviously the major cities, uh, the major populous states, they're really flooded right now. Like I chat, I went online yesterday, North Dakota, and we all know there's issues with the testing, but they have 200 cases um, uh, right now. They just went over 200. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty low number for most yeah. places. So, and North Dakota is the third least uh, dense state, fourth, excuse me, Montana, Wyoming, and Alaska are lower. And I, I think it just makes a lot of sense. Like, if you're going to have to quarantine people and you're probably not going to be able to have fans come in, uh, n- North Dakota makes sense from a population standpoint. Of course, they have to be willing to say we'll host it. But you know, there's a there's a guy who covers uh, hockey there. He's a he's a really good reporter. His name's Brad Schlossman. Um, he wrote a story today, and you know he's pretty plugged in there. And he basically says that 
North Dakota would do anything to have that happen. Now, there's a bigger wow. question there whether or not it's safe, uh, whether or not the governments would, the various governments would allow it. But I could see, like, the, at least from a purely sports point of view, them saying, "What do you need? We'd love to do it." The you know, I've and and this is something that has fascinated me since this whole situation became a stark reality. But you know, I, I've even looked at it. And, and I know that population density would be a little bit different, but I look at, you know, Alberta's doing a pretty good job right now, and, and you know, it looks like we're, we're moving towards the point where the curve could be flattened here and, and you know, we could be back to normal in, in a few months. Like, would Canadian cities, Calgary, Edmonton, would they be considered in a conversation like this because they've got the hotel availability? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's too soon. I think, I think ideally, ideally... What I would believe, Pat, is that you want to play these games in their home cities, right? Or NHL cities, if you could. But we've got to be prepared for anything. So I honestly don't have the answer to that question, aside from I think in a perfect world, you'd play at home if you could. Okay. Uh, and, And it's funny because this connects to something that uh, you put in your 31 thoughts, which I believe is 34 thoughts this week. You uh, published that on April 1st last week. Um, so from a from a financial standpoint, if they are not able to play again, $1.1 billion would be the estimated losses. But if they can, they can recoup, some of that, if they can get playing again, those losses could be low as as low as two hundred and twenty million dollars. That's a pretty big swing, hey? Well, the playoffs are just huge. Like, um, you know, I don't. I, I know I, I, everybody jokes about how on the podcast I say I used to cover the NBA. I don't have as much knowledge anymore about the way the NBA functions as opposed to the NHL, but I am under the impression that the playoffs are much more significant financially in terms of the percentage of revenue in the NHL than they are in the NBA. And um, these would seem to indicate it. Now, the one thing that somebody has told me is since I wrote that, and it's been, what, five days, um, the, the financial picture just of overall where we're going, it becomes more and more bleak. So it's possible that those numbers, even if we do play again, have moved. I don't know that for sure, but I've been warned not to continue quoting those numbers because it's possible that it moves. And, you know, I I think the biggest uncertainty right now and the biggest question is the NHL was very confident, um, Pat, in their next TV deal. I mean, what does this mean? We don't know. And the U.S. one is the one I'm talking about, and it's up after right. next year. Yeah. Elliot Friedman is with us. Our NHL insider from Hockey Night in Canada joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. Elliot, we, we know this is a, a very, very gate-reliant league relative to others. Yeah. What do you if, – if this team, if this league is going to miss $1.1 billion, what percentage of that do you think is gate revenue? Because it's it's clearly significant. Yes, but I don't know the answer to that question. So when you had the estimates on numbers in terms of what the playoffs could bring, is that the assumption of fans in the seats or not? Because that to me is a massive swing, whether it is with or without, right? 
No, I, I think that included fans in the seats. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, but no, but I mean, in terms of what you would lose, including fans in the seats. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I'm, I'm having a tough time with the gap being closed if there's no fans in the seats and that remains the biggest source of revenue for the league, if you know what I mean. Well, I think, I think there's no question about that. Um, I think what you're hoping for is, um, you know, like I, I think what you're, I think what you're talking about is as much as anything else, Pat, or sorry, not Pat, uh, Ryan is, the, you're talking about the future as much. And also, don't forget, when those, when those estimates were made, I don't know if anybody thought it was for sure that you wouldn't be able to play with fans. I think we're, it, it's been a week now, and I think we're more certain that if we play, we're playing without fans. So that's why I said you got to be careful about quoting those numbers now because they might have been accurate at the time, but who knows what's changed. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, do you get a sense that there's a drop dead date where the league will have to make up its mind on whether there is a continuation of this season or whether they say, okay, we're so far down the road. Now we need to focus on making sure that 2021 isn't interrupted. Uh, you know, I was asked, I did my Toronto hit earlier today, and I was asked the same question. The, the answer is, if there is one, I don't know about it, but you can do the math, okay? So right now, they're hoping to, be, to do a Stanley Cup tournament in sometime kind of August or September, and then play a full season next year. And I think what that would mean is after the cup is awarded, you take three to four weeks off. I think the goal is three, but it might be four. You do all your off-season business, and you bring everybody back, and you start up again. No all-star game, no five-day break, and kind of from there. And that's how you go with it. And um, so work your way backwards, Ryan, like, how late do you have to know about that? Is it July, June? Like, like I said, I don't think we're really going to know anything until middle of June. Like, if there's any chance of playing, like, right now, like, we're all guessing. Now, some mm-hmm. people have better information than others. Some people know more than others. Some are total crackpots. But... <laughs> Are we really going to know until the middle of June? I doubt it. So I have a feeling around that time, we're going to know. Yeah, fair enough. And, I mean, the the whole idea of sliding the schedule just has this incredible uh, web of things you have to untangle. I'm fascinated to see if we do get a resumption, even if it's just a condensed playoffs, what the ripple effect is. Uh, Elliot Friedman does join us Mondays here on Tinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Mr. Friedman, uh, I, I was interested in, um, in in reading 31 Thoughts a few days ago, and, you know, you kind of talked about how 
uh, draft prospects are doing interviews on the phone, and you know, there's obviously not going to be a scouting combine this year, and and we don't even know when the draft is going to take place. But it's it's interesting. the The NFL draft's going to be virtual. The CFL draft's going to be virtual. I uh, I do some work at CFL.ca and and was writing about this, but uh, essentially right now, CFL teams are are getting home workouts emailed to them um videos emailed to them by potential prospects saying here's my measurables here's my weight here's my height here's my vertical jump here's my like they're the creative ways that agents and players are trying to get their information to teams what what are you hearing about how teams are trying to scout the 2020 nhl draft class well you're allowed to do phone interviews um normally it would be dinner but now you're doing the phone interviews. Um, that's, you know, that's a good question, Pat. I, the one thing I heard was the phone interviews. I, I, I'll, I'll, find, I'll ask for you. That's a good question. I'll see if I can find out more in terms of, okay. you know, because in the NHL, you're not allowed to. That's why everybody's so mad at Arizona. You know, you're not allowed to do this. Um, you know, you're not allowed to physically test guys. Uh, outside of the combine. So I'll find out if there's guidelines or rules that are going to be out there for people because it's a really good question. Do you have, I know we have no idea when the NHL draft would even take place because so much else has to be determined first, but have you have you been able to get a feel as to what that might look like whenever they decide it's going to happen? Like, would it be going back to the 70s when they did this thing on a conference call? Well, I bet you knowing us, because we're the rights holder for it, we'll want a TV component. So if it if it has to be on somehow we're gonna put it on television. Um, at least I hope we would. Yeah. Um, you, you, so I would assume it's gonna be. I don't know if it's gonna be teams in their offices or you know again whoever gets the number one pick at home and uh, you know how they do it from there and they interview the players that way. I don't think we know yet. But I would assume it's going to be that's one opportunity. I know the other thing they've talked about is do they do? Remember after the after the lockout in 0405, they had a scaled down draft in Ottawa at a hotel there. Okay. Um, I think there's a possibility of doing something like that in Montreal if it's allowed, if it's possible. Um, I know I wouldn't be surprised. I know next year. The hope was the draft would be in Seattle with the expansion draft. And then maybe they'd go back to Montreal in June of 2022. But I think it's more likely this year we have an online draft with the possibility of a small one in Montreal. Then if everything works out, Seattle and Montreal again. Okay. And a final one from me, Elliot, and that's just on the uh, – it's another uh, piece of information from 31 Thoughts, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, so the NHL working on a new transfer agreement with other leagues in Europe, correct? Yes, that is basically done. Um, it has not been approved yet by the Board of Governors, but there are agreements there. Um, and uh, I, I heard that the league would be – uh, increasing the um, – I, I heard the league would be increasing 
the amount that goes to a team once a player signs an NHL deal, but I heard it's slightly more complicated than that. I don't have my notes in front of me, so I can't remember exactly what I wrote, but I think there's three or four different criteria, uh, including how much time a player has played with a particular club team. Okay. So, uh, but whatever the case is, they, they worked it out. Somebody told me, and I, I can't pin it down, that all the federations are mad at one particular federation, but I can't figure out which one it is. Okay. He's Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. Every Monday with us here on Pinder and Steinberg. Just a quick follow-up. Would that include uh, Russia, Elliot? Because they seem to be their own beast separate from a lot of the other European leagues traditionally in terms of how these agreements have gone with the league. Somebody told me they thought so, but I don't know. Again, I don't know. I don't know it for sure, Ryan. But somebody okay. told me they thought that that uh, that there was some level of uh, Russian cooperation here. We'll find out mm. for sure. Okay. Uh, the, the the latest in dealing with isolation, your your pandemic buster in terms of books or TV shows, and finally, we'll need uh, your assessment on how your multitasking has gone. <laughs> Well, I think your listener, you and your listeners would be better at telling me how I'm multitasking if I've been paying enough attention. I haven't been hit by anything, knock on wood, so I think that's pretty good. And I've maintained social distancing whenever someone cycles or walks near me. So I think that's been sure. good, but you guys will have to tell. Um, you know, I, I finished. Um, uh, I'm caught up on Homeland, which I think has been dynamite. I mean, I watched okay. Tiger King like everybody seems to have right now. Um, I'm, uh, I watched, uh, the hunters on Amazon prime. I'll tell you this. So I, I also watched, uh, a bunch of stuff like that. Um, I will tell anybody out there who's never watched the shield. Now is your time. The shield is the most underrated and unappreciated drama I've ever watched. It's seven seasons. I will put the last episode of the shield up against any fun finale in television history. Uh, so I'm recommending that. Now, the book I'm reading is The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, who's the chairman of Disney. I'm almost done. And next, uh, we just got it today. It is The Oral History of the Office. And I'm going to read that. Uh, ooh. So that would be uh, based with the, the, the UK sitcom, the American one, or something totally different? I think it's, the, I think it's mostly the American one with some... Okay. Uh, conversation about the the british one okay i love it that's like you just killed a month for all of us out there seven seasons of the show well, okay that, that's what i'm here for don't hit anything thank you for uh, chatting as always thanks elliot all right guys take care all the best everyone elliot friedman our nhl insider joins us mondays on pinder and steinberg and the sports drive at five boy a whole lot of unknowns moving forward for the nhl and the other major sports leagues which is probably why we're wearing some classic Blue Jays baseball all week. We'll take you to game one of the 1993 World Series next across the Sportsnet TV and radio network, Schilling against Guzman. I got an interesting feeling about these 93 Blue Jays. Could be a special group. Stay tuned for more. Sportsnet 960, the fan.